What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the BKMC, the MCEO. I love the fact that y'all checking out the People's Party and showing us a lot of love. You know what we do? We bringing you all the live guests. We bringing you the best podcast on the internet. Just make sure you subscribe and leave a review. People's Party, Talib Kweli. Let's go. Peace and love, party people. This is Talib Kweli, the MCEO, the BKMC. Welcome to another wonderful, fantastic edition of the People's Party. Give it up for Jasmine Lee and the place to be. That's right. Slow clap. Slow yeah, clap. We love her. How you feeling, Jasmine? You know, I'm just, I can't even put it in words right now. What's your dress say? Oh, my dress, which you can't see, it says Exit 21. Exit 21. And why does, why does it say Exit 21? Because that's the exit for Roosevelt, baby. No doubt. Today's guest on the People's Party is from Roosevelt, Long Island. And we're going to get into how important Long Island is for hip hop. But today's guest is not just a hero of mine, but a hero for anyone who loves social justice a hero for anyone who loves black music, a hero for anyone who loves hip hop music, anyone who's fought against a corrupt system. This man is truly an architect of what we know as hip hop. He needs no introduction, but I'm going to attempt to introduce him anyway. I was watching The Office recently and BJ Novak's character was talking about Thailand. He's like, would you like me to tell you about Thailand? And Jenna Fisher character says, yes. And he goes, it's indescribable. And that's how I feel about this guest. I cannot mm-hmm. describe how iconic this man is and how much he's influenced me as a human being, as an artist. Um, Fools multiply when wise men remain silent mm. is a quote that's often attributed to Nelson Mandela. And that's a quote that I live my life by. This man lives his life loud, louder than a bomb. He brings the noise, a very noisy life. You understand what I'm saying? That's what we're for. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the one, the only, sitting across from the table from me today, Chuck D from Public Enemy. Give it up. <clears throat> What's up, wow. Mr. Chuck? My hero. Now now, now <laughs> I'm on the other side of, of the coin because uh, a couple days ago, I, I did the same thing for Rakim and his okay. book. I had all my questions ready. Yeah. And you know, like you go in and say, well, damn, you know, it seems like all everything seems perfect. Mm-hmm. It might not come out well, right? And we, 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 it was lovely, man. I can't wait to see that. Oh man, it was lovely. Man. I mean, that's the R. Yes, that is the R. The God MC. The God MC. And another God MC across the table from oh, the please. TK. I'm honored and I'm humbled. Give it up for you too. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, Chuck D, Chucky D, <laughs> Chuck Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of names. A lot of names. First of all, let me give it up to my man Set Free because we both got on his hat yes. from the compound yes. in the Bronx. See, I got it up in in uh, NBA All Star Weekend mm-hmm. um, in Chicago, and uh, I, I I wanted to wear it at that Bernie Sanders joint. Right. We're gonna talk about that. Yeah, too. we're gonna talk about that. Yeah, because <laughs> that's, a hot topic. that's one of the reasons why we're here <laughs> as well. I was supposed to be with you earlier mm-hmm. in uh, in December, mm-hmm. and this was this is where I get. Right. <laughs> Everything has its time. Everything has its time. And its time. place and its season. I know. Before that, I didn't have a bridge in my mouth. Okay. Well, an updated bridge. So okay. I'm getting adjusted to that. So okay. if I end up sounding like Bismarcky, man, just right. don't. <laughs> well, at least Kanye through the wire. <laughs> no um, knock on Biz. No doubt. Shout out to the Diabolical, also Long Island and, representative. And, and also one of the first political phrases in hip hop, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. Reagan is a prez, but he voted for Shirley Chisholm. He voted for Shirley Chisholm. Ain't that what, right? Didn't that's that right. stick? That's right. That's right. 
Um, and Shirley Chisholm, like she ran, he wasn't even talking about a recent election when he did right, that. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was taking it back. He was giving us black history. I remember far back when Dick Gregory ran in 68. Yeah, man. I mean, I remember. I don't like, remember it, but. I, I, well, <laughs> I kind of recalled it because, I mean, we were in second grade. Mm-hmm. And then, every, you know, and, and kids mm-hmm. back then, I was in Queens. We used to pick, you know, pick who you wanted for president. Mm-hmm. And not that you couldn't vote, but right. we were at least aware and astute enough. And, you know, and as a black kid, and I went to Richmond Hill mm-hmm. in Queens. So it was like white and Jewish kids and there you, as well. You were born in Queens, right? Born in Queens, Flushing, yeah. Uh, yeah. in the shadows of Shea Stadium mm-hmm. before it was built. Man, and, um, rest in peace to Dick Gregory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. And uh, I remember he kind of seeing that because there was Dick Gregory records in the house, mm-hmm. you know? And so Dick Gregory, Red Fox, you know, and- um, Shit your parents wouldn't let, let you listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you, you couldn't touch the turntable anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, my moms would play a 45 to death. You knew that music in the household <laughs> right. meant that you had to do chores. Right. So I couldn't get far away from Stevie Wonder and Superstition. Mm-hmm. Superstition. Right. Like, and, that, that. and then if it's a 45, it's going to play over and over again. Right. You can't tell your mom, like, woman, would you kind of like change this record? <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, you better not touch that right. record, man. Finish your chores and then you could go outside and play. So I right. spent a childhood trying to run away from music because music meant working in the house and mm. chores. So that my mom's a Stax Atlantic Motown, right. you know, and my father, jazz records from the Columbia Jazz Club, James Brown, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. So, but my, my dad's sports, sports mm-hmm. fanatic, uh, fanatic. So that speaks to, um, the practical nature of black music and black art. So often when you think about art from a westernized European lens, mm-hmm. it's art for the sake of art. Right. You put it on the on the wall to look at it. It doesn't have any real use in life. But when right. you look at, when you go to a museum and of course all those artifacts are stolen. But right. when you look at the African art, mm-hmm. it's very practical. It's like right. spoons and bowls and stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, stuff art, that people needed to eat and live. Art is everything, man. And mm-hmm. everybody, you know, and, and art lives in everybody. Right. Um, the processing in the in the Western world is how do you get it out? How do you make people understand or respect it? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, everything is art. I was raised in the arts. Mm-hmm. I was raised to respect arts. I, I came out of a, a drawing and design and fool. Mm-hmm. Um, coincidentally, I don't believe things actually travel in the blood. But my uh, my mother's grandfather was the first licensed black architect in um, New Jersey. Okay. Where, where my grandfather grew up out there, but he was a second licensed black architect in New York. Okay. He helped work on a, worked on a flat iron building and all that. I just I shot mean, part of my video in front of the flat iron building. Oh, really? I got a project with Diamond D, a project dedicated to New York, and that's just an iconic building, so I shot right in front of that building. Damn. Yeah. Full you, circle. DIC, yeah, man, you come DITC, from Black Excellence. Right? And yeah, you know, shout out to Diamond. Um, yeah. we, we, we might be able to get you on that project, man. Yeah, man, um, I'm available. As soon as this bridge gets right. Right, let's get it. Um, for the younger people who might be watching this, I don't think some younger fans understand how ubiquitous mm-hmm. and huge public enemy was in mm-hmm. the music business. Yeah. Um, there's a record on the radio right now. Uh, in the rhythm of the night. Oh, yeah. It's like a popular club song. And mm-hmm. I was in the elevator recently. And I guess there's a remix out now. And the young kid jumped on it like, yes, the rhythm, the rebel. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's just Chuck D right there. Mm-hmm. I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Public Enemy rose to the level of pop. And Karis, mm-hmm. when y'all were at the height of your success, these are pop hip hop groups. Um, 
you weren't making pop music, but I'm just talking about the level of success. Yeah. Like PE was like a amigos, Karis yeah. like a Drake. Is that yeah. accurate? That's 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 uh, accurate, and also we knew when we made our music. Remember, I, I mean, I was in a rare, rare situation where mm-hmm. I was asked for two years to make records with this new company called Def Jam. So right. I was like, Rick, stop calling me, leave me alone. We wanted right. to go on the radio because we felt if we went into radio playing hip hop records the way we did it and curated it, and we, you know, we were aficionados of. Uh, Red Alert and Chuck Chill Out and Magic, of mm-hmm. course, but and that's where I first heard your music at. Yeah, those shows. But even more, more succinctly, uh, the sounds of World Famous Supreme Team. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm a big World Famous Supreme Team fan because of their looseness and they were all over. So, you know, me and Flav and all of us did our thing at WBAU, Mr. Bill and Shockley's and all that. We were just attacking hip hop by playing it and making it and playing it. And there wasn't enough records then. Mm. So we treated it like the rock boys treated rock. And we wanted, and we was very competitive too. Mm-hmm. Cause we knew we was the underground, under under the world bastard music. Right. So, you know, we were like, okay, we're going, we're going to make you respect us. Right. And we're going to go head for head. And, uh, you know, we were the radio station that Run DMC listened to when they were coming up. Right. And they formed themselves. I mean, when we, they would go around the, the world to come back to WBAU with tapes and stuff and then to take the tapes from the station out to wherever they went to. Mm. So we were there kind of like their home base. Mm. As soon as they come out with a demo, we'd be playing it. Dr. Dre comes from our camp. Andre Shout Brown. Out to Dr. Dre. Yeah. You know, and Long Island uh, Dr. Dre. Long Island Dr. Dre. The first Dr. Dre, I'll tell you a story about that. Um, <laughs> it has a record and we was telling Dre, there's another Dr. Dre out there somewhere. Right. He's with this this wrecking crew. And we was like, he ain't going to last long. <laughs> <laughs> you just keep that name, Dre. Right. You got you know? this. And, they, and, they, and Dr. Dre named himself after, of course, Dr. J. Right. From our hometown, Roosevelt, too. You know that, right? Yes, I do. Of course. Yeah. And so he's our hometown hero. And you grew up down the, well, you were born kind of down the block from Eddie Murphy. The Murphys lived down the block. I was, uh, well, I, I moved around, but first Collin Road, then Lincoln Avenue. Yeah. I was on Pennywood. Yeah. All and, over. And Eddie and Charlie Murphy and Vernon Lynch, who actually later on was K9 Posse. Right. Know? Yeah. Yeah. They uh, Eddie's Eddie's rap brother. Eddie's younger, younger <laughs> yeah, brother. Yeah. When he did Coming to America, people thought that was me in the line. Right. Chuck, these in the line. No, that, was, <laughs> that was actually Vernon. So. Right. Yeah, they grew up down on Berkeley, which is a street down on Clinton, which is Roosevelt is a town with the streets are named after presidents. Mm-hmm. And but we happened to live off Clinton. Clinton wasn't the president yet. Okay. No. So, foreshadowing. <laughs> foreshadowing. Yeah. Or either that or Illuminati. No, let me stop. <laughs> <laughs> you getting into it early. I don't talk no, I don't talk conspiracy <laughs> no, theories. I, I leave that shit alone. But man. that is true. I don't I, um, I don't even talk on this. You um talked about you wanted you were an artist and a graphic designer. To the bone, man. You designed the PE logo, right? Yes, sir. That's one of the most, if not the most iconic logo in hip-hop, I believe. And it originally wasn't for PE. It was for, we used to promote gigs all over Long Island and Tri-State area. And we used to, you know, I mean, not everybody was everybody. So we kind of like fill out the roster Mm -hmm. by fake names. Okay. Or cats, we would actually say, well, you a bunch of rappers, man, but y'all going to be part of this crew. So one day I was listening to WHBI radio and I heard like a dedication, like this goes out to Funky Frank in the street for us. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, that's a fly name to, yeah. to Jack. So I jacked the name and I did a logo and that was the logo for Funky Frank in the street for us. They were from Brooklyn. That's an ill logo for that group. I, yeah, it was. Yeah. I knew, I mean, I nailed logos because I got really seriously envious how the rock boys 
all had logos. They had jackets. Heavy metal era and, too. It got and, crazy. And, and on Long Island, they Man. would play like they. You could make a living back then on Long Island and not go nowhere else because mm. they had all the big rock clubs. And the rock clubs back then, and and this is rock folklore. You know, they they used to like boom every weekend five thousand people, mm. seventy five hundred. So you have a rock band from Long Island that only does the New York metropolitan area, right? And Jersey, like and all. And just just play that area, never go and do anything else, and play in front of like. And so, how many people do you play this weekend? Oh, we play like fifteen thousand because we play five clubs. Right. So we saw how that movement was going. Pre-internet, word of mouth, community. Yeah, they had the spot. So we um, we wanted to do the same thing with black music and DJing, mm. and um, you know, it was just walls, man. Mm. So you know, we we helped play the music kept playing the music really well and then the people who was making the music at the mm-hmm. time said we want you party part of our operation mm-hmm. and um the first guy that left our whole camp that went to Def Jam was Dre okay he had the original concept right I remember that record and he helped invent he helped invent um you know bass music Miami right bass. right because he actually came in Keith Shockley and Hank Shockley, we always used to buy the Roland 8000. Mm-hmm. And they could tell you more succinctly than I. I'll be uh, seeing them at the uh, DJ, little DJ conventions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Keith, particularly. Yeah. So we actually had bass lines running with the beat, made the beat, of course, on the Roland when it first came out. But Dre one day came in with the 909. And he found a way to actually manipulate the 909 mm-hmm. and found a sustain button on it that go boom on mm-hmm. the bass. Mm-hmm. Of course, he showed Rick Rubin, mm-hmm. showed him how to work that. That's why you heard Together Forever in 1984. And that built that, that built that label, that built that sound. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then Luke and them after that. That's so right. Built my and then after bass. Luke so, and them, it's like trap music. Oh, yeah, which trap, yeah. Way down that. the line. I was just saying, it's crazy how a New Yorker is the one that started bass music. Oh, yeah, like, Dre. We start everything. Never gets any credit for it because people don't mm-hmm. know. As a matter of fact, people like, they can't connect the dots because yeah. original concept is one of those important pillars of Def Jam. Right. But also the last era of singles by a major record label. Right. Because Def Jam was an important label because they had to signify that Albums, rap albums mm-hmm. can work. And of course, Dre got famous with Ed Lover on Yo MTV Yo Raps, MTV raps mm-hmm. and they did movie projects. But that's another layer on top of why people don't understand his contribution on that side. Because when they do know about him, they only think of the TV stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't really know about, well, you know, you had to be a real underground hip hop head, like in the culture to know about that original concept record. Well, well to know is two words that actually leads up to science. Science, mm-hmm. you know, it's, science is to know. Yeah. So, I, you know, when I talk to young people and they might not know me, well, well you don't know actually the, the faces in your pocket on the on the money either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you want them and yeah. you got them. You have a, a device or a gadget in your pocket that's either a tool or a toy. Mm. And the thing that signifies, I guess, the space or the timeline of a human being, if you use a phone and it's more tool as you grow along, mm-hmm then that's proper use of your gadget and mm-hmm. comprehension of your gadget before the gadget ends up running you. That's right. So you got to master, you got to manage the machine. You can't man- master the machine. Right. Because these situations are set up for these machines and gadgets to pretty much um, not have be a portal for you, mm-hmm. but you a portal for them. 
Right. And your con- and consumption is the thing that, that comes to it. So I tell young people all the time, you got a computer in your pocket. Mm-hmm. It's not just a toy. It's a tool. But you got to kind of manifest and learn some things in order to mm-hmm. use it use it right, just like right. any machine, like any car or whatever. So, right. uh, yeah. So I, I, I kind of turn it right back around on them. The best thing to, to teach young people is you kind of like turn it back around on them mm-hmm. to make them come up with their own answers of what they think. Um, and that's what keeps, I guess, me relevant when I'm on a one-on-one. I've spoken in 900 colleges over the last mm-hmm. 35 years, and I could keep people there three hours because right. you've got to kind of, it's give and take. Well, you also pay attention to the to the trends without following them. Um, you're very prominent on social media. I'm on Twitter often. I, I spend a lot of time there. We talked about that. <laughs> you're, you're prominent, right? Let, let me tell you, man. You come this, to my this, aid a lot, and I got to thank you. Your aid? You don't need no aid. It's like, it's like a million of you dudes, man. It's like I tell people, I say, you mess with him, man. Be prepared for acid burns, man, because you don't really don't, you really don't want it. Mm. You really don't want it, man. It's like the, the existence. I mean... You're a virus on Twitter. No, no, in a good <laughs> it's way. It's a problem, man. Right. And I just watch. It's entertainment. I tell people uh-huh. quite quite simply, I said, messing with Talib Kweli, all you're doing is giving them bar exercises. That's I, right. I, I, people I don't get some, that. You get that as an MC, though. People don't yeah, get that. Well, well, that's that's the language mm-hmm. that that's the inner dynamic of hip-hop and MCs and DJs and all that. We have an inner language in the language that hasn't been curated and brought out into the world yet. So there's this assumption that hip hop is just what they see and what they hear. Mm-hmm. It's beyond what you hear, beyond what you see. That's right. And there's an inner language that's been going on for years. People just get that from sports just now. Right. Because sports used to be this thing, you know, you go to the game, you watch people, they shoot hoops and all that, the winner or the loser. But it's metastasized mm-hmm. in all these old networks and all that. I mean, if you got 500 broadcasters, everybody's getting into the nuances of the game and you do that for 20, 25 years and then people grow up with the nuances. So there's this other language that takes place that they hone into body language, just this a total flow. Hip hop never really got off the bricks with that. It got mm-hmm. to a point and then all of a sudden it was appropriated by other situations. Mm-hmm. So it never grew past the point where you had the administration and the scholars in lock mm. teaching and curating what it is so people could grow with it and find new and venture off the new areas. It is. It's scattered, though. It's scattered all across many lands across the world. I've been to 116 countries on a regular and go back and forth. And it's areas that curate way better than we do, and but they're in different languages as well. Mm. You know, when you go to France, right. it's like, if you can't speak French, you there ain't no fucking way you're going to understand what they're saying. Right. You can't break anything down, right. you know, if you don't know the language. So I tell people all the time, yeah, it's the beats, but, you know, if it wasn't about a person spitting, then we all be flocking the instrumentals. Mm-hmm. And if it wasn't about what the person was spitting in the rhymes, then it wouldn't matter. That means you would should be open to any language because because right. don't give me that well I don't know what they're saying well well you saying somebody's saying too much and now you saying you don't know what they're saying so what is it it's like right. oh yeah yeah uh, oh, I feel you so don't get into this bag of saying I don't really care what they have to say so mm-hmm. if you don't care what they have to say then take Brazilian right right because <laughs> they got you know they chopping it they, they come in with and you know and you know it as well MCs in the world, especially you can go to Africa, man, they braiding languages. Mm-hmm. So if they braiding this language and braiding that language and they're still on the on the flow and then they're mm-hmm. going into different levels of beats and stuff like that, are they more advanced? 
or are they not or are they or are they some or are they some somewhere I else? I like that it? braiding languages. Yeah, man. I mean, and, and and perform them well. Yeah. To make you bottom line, when you are looking at a performance, man, it's panoramic, so you're going like this, mm-hmm. right? And I'm I'm giving kind of like. 12 years ago rules too, because mm-hmm. you know what's changed the game. Yeah. Screens have changed this, changed the game. Screens in people's hands mm-hmm. and the screens on the stage. So a mm-hmm. performer really doesn't have to get into a crazy performing bag. You're right. Screens cover them. That's interesting. The I never thought about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like, do find myself on stage paying attention if I can see the, the screen and like allowing that to affect my performance. Like I can move this way, I can move that way. Right. Rock, yeah. Rocking the screens is 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 teaching a performer how to perform today as opposed to rocking the stage and the yeah. crowd. Because you know, you could be in front of the, uh, the stage, you could be on the stage and they could be 10 feet away and they might still be on their phones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and they, they not, a lot of times people say, well, they're, they're just trying to capture the moment. Mm-hmm. But it's a little bit more than that. It's like trying to capture the moment, but also checking you out through the screens and yeah. then they got the screens on the side. And no matter what venue you're in now, now smaller venues also got screens too. Mm-hmm. They're made to the point where now MCs could do stadiums now I mean we played the first stadiums where we played Public Enemy play with U2 yeah and we're coming out and we're playing like Dodger Stadium you know you know stadiums mm-hmm. and I'm like I'm on stage I'm like what is this motherfucker getting from this show way up yeah there? Oh, how could he be digging this mm-hmm. and U2 had the, the projection screens but also they had the budgets and the power to actually have power in their sound yeah. and give you some kind of screenology going on. I just up. saw the Joshua Tree reunion, uh, uh, anniversary show last yeah. couple years ago in Barcelona at that Barcelona uh, football stadium. Crazy, right? Yeah, but, the, the, but, you know, I was way, I didn't have VIP status. I'm, I'm way in the back. Neat watching the YouTube well, show, I got, I got Acura status at all these places too. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the screens was a big part of it. Were you about to say? Oh no, I was waiting for you to finish. But uh, I was going back to the Twitter. The Twitter. I sound like an old. The lady. Twitter. Oh my gosh. Quali, you on that? The Are Twitter. Are you on again? that Twitter? The th- Twitter thing. Uh, people say that Talib shouldn't argue with racists on Twitter. Um, what do you feel about that as being his friend? Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, like I said before, bar exercise for an MC. I see him, and every time I, I peep uh, Talib's responses, and I'm saying, "Yo, that's a joint. That's that's a jam later on that's down a the jam. line." <laughs> I said, and you know, and and you know, when you get song ideas, mm-hmm. it's not like I'm like, I'm gonna go get song ideas. It got to come to you. Mm-hmm. But I'm pretty sure in some of your tweets, you're like, "Oh, yeah, I do save some of them." Like that's a bar, mm-hmm. right? And it makes it in a bar later. That happens exactly. Yeah. So that's that's the difference. He's not just a, and then. The, the 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 basis of MCs and the whole thing is find an enemy anyway. Mm. You know, me, I, I didn't find a person as an enemy. I found a, an existence as something for me to be ferocious and attack. So it was it was sort of like you know anonymous, invisible, but I st- it was a thing. It was a it was a stigma. It was a it was a reality. Mm-hmm. It was like you know, public enemy is going to attack racism. It's going to. I mean, on our first album, Yo Bummer's the show. Mm-hmm. We all in this together, foot in the door. The government's responsible is uh, is the underpin, right? And like, go at it, go at it. Um, this is right. like in the middle of R and B, man, and that's Reagan and Bush, right? You was yeah. a rebel without a pause. Because I, I mean, my first demo, it wasn't a demo; it was actually a radio promo. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. The Public Enemy Number One. Public Enemy Number One was yeah. play, uh, made on a pause tape. Now, um, me and Flav I used to used make to, pause tapes, man. Yeah, exactly. That's how yeah. Public Enemy Number One it was made in 1984 with two tape decks. Yeah, explain crazy. pause tape for those who don't know what tape. So I'm, I'm gonna try to explain how I did it and see if you, you did it the same way. And it wasn't like I had these conversations because Q-Tip, I spoke to him about pause tapes too. He was making pause tapes. Yeah, of course. They talk about that in Michael Rapport's documentary. But for me, it was like. There wasn't any instrumental, so I would either wait till BLS at the end of Molly uh, Molly Mall set. They play like a house music set, right? right? And some of those house music records would be an, a certain tempo under a hundred, mm-hmm. and I would take that on one beat and just play the beat four four measures, four bars. Pause it, play four bars, or like EST act Nicholas one. Every record back then had a DJ cut where the DJ would get mm-hmm. busy, where the mm-hmm. MC wasn't rhyming. Mm-hmm. So I'd find the DJ cut and. EST had one. I don't remember the name of it, but that was one I did. And I would make four bars, pause the tape, rewind it, bring those four bars back. It's like sampling. Yep. It's, yeah. And, and you know, when you have a glitch, when you don't have the perfect timing, mm-hmm. it gave it the feel of a funky, funky band. And your vocals kept it together. Yeah, it's funky. Yeah, and your, it's not and your perfect. vocals glued it. Yeah. So um, the first Public Enemy number one demo that went, it was like a, it was a big like hit in the region because we tried to make promos because we didn't have enough records. Um, it went around and it was promoting WBAU, our radio station. And that's the that's the mm-hmm. song that Rick wanted. Now, Rick Rubin, I've heard rumblings that he's a conservative. Have you heard the same thing? I have no idea. Rick is from another universe. Okay, <laughs> he's yeah. from another place. He, he dresses man. like it. Yeah, he's, he, he, <laughs> yo, man, he's a contrarian. He's just, and you know what? The longest conversation we had ever was like a, two, three months ago when me and Be Real made a, you know, made a song. We even Profits, we, Profits of Rage. Yeah, business. we made a Profits of Rage track, but even when he interviewed me for his show, I think that was the longest conversation we ever had. Oh, you did his show? Yeah. I need to see Longest that. conversation need, we ever had. I need had. to watch that. And, and really, it's like, it's a telepathic. It was like, cool. Um, cool. Now, Rebel Without a Pause, uh, you say, you shout out Asada Shakur, but you call her Chesamard. Was that yes. coded? Because nah, only people who really coded. knew the movement would have known her Chester name. Chesamard sounded better. Okay, okay. It was you an artistic saying? choice. It's hard. Mar, you, okay. You know I mean, you know, as an MC, man, there's certain things, man, that you, if you grab a word mm-hmm. and and you grab the word by its tail. You're right you around can, it, you too. Nail yeah, it. And, yeah. And, you know, they would have to look up, you know, Asada. It's education. And, and understand, this is 87. That's what I'm saying. Like, it was I'm a, I'm early. Effect, well, I'm affected by when, when the feds... Um, trapped um, Asaj Shakur. Yeah, you know, I was, I'm, you know, with present, yeah. uh, you know, and this when it all happened in Jersey, and um, it was just something. It's, it's, you know, mm. you write half the song, and the song writes the other right. half, and you there's some things that you can't explain. So a lot of those lines from that song came out and flowed out because me and Hank Shockley went one night to Old Westbury. And the DJ played the greatest song of all time in my at that time. Or greatest that just floored us. And the dude played it nine times. It was I know you got soul, Eric B. Right yeah. And we stared at each other because <laughs> we were getting heat, mm-hmm. even because we all had the same management. Eric B. Rakim, they had they had a year mm-hmm. seniority over us. We were um, coming in in '87 album group not even you know because back then you had to you had to develop yourself in the streets so you mm-hmm. had to get that street single yeah at least first 
And back then, you know, Def Jam was the was the label that went from hip hop being a singles music mm-hmm. into being album music. Right. And LL uh, Radio crossed that, and then the Beastie Boys like yeah. the L, and then Raising Hell with Profile, so all the same camp. Right. So it's album oriented music. So we come out with an album with no street single to the to, that nobody knew. Mm-hmm. So we were like, man, we got to find. I mean, Public Enemy Number One was dated, so that came, that was made in '84. Mm-hmm. So we came here; it comes out three years later. It sounds ahead of its time, yeah, but the yeah. rhyme styles are, are, are kind of like the rhyme back. animal style. Yeah, it's like back a little bit. So Rebel Without a Pause was that combination of all those ingredients that right. Rakim and KRS changed the game in '86. They changed the rhyme phrasing, and 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 just the beat patterns were just different. James right. Brownish. So we went out there like like a hungry dog, man, a chicken's man. So <laughs> you said that LO had the radio record. Radio was so prominent. Uh, but your stance was radio suckers never play me. Yeah. You no, know, because because radio stations didn't play rap except for in their segmented areas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like one of the things that that New York could have did back in the day in the 80s was realize the power of hip hop and made one of those cheesy ass non-functional AM stations mm-hmm. all hip hop all the time. Like later uh, in that day, you had places like in Norfolk and and in LA Richmond. too. Yeah, LA no, was LA doing. K Day was early. K Day was a good good place to pee. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and you hear in like two o'clock in the afternoon, <sighs> you know, AM station. So you know, New York never did that. New York didn't turn the leaf until like ninety three when Hot ninety seven came. Yeah, out. when they hired Flex and Flex's program was bigger than everything else. All the other programming. Yeah, and so. That changed the whole thing. So you started rapping in 97 at the NYC Blackout? Oh, in 1977? Yeah. No, no. I started I started fingering around with it in 78. I always went to hip-hop gigs, like to dance, like to do the flyers. First mm-hmm. met Hank Shockley mm-hmm. wanting to do the flyers for Spectrum City. Well, really, they were called Spectrum. We put the city on later on mm-hmm. when we was the, the Super 80s. Spectrum Mixed yeah, Hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hank and Keith are phenomenal sound people. Hank would make us, he would make like a cheap little system sound like a trillion dollars because right. his ears and just the way he would mess around with it. You know, their father was a you know person that was a sound connoisseur, so they they stayed mm-hmm. with that all their lives. So. um yeah, I wanted to do flyers because I said, look, you guys are doing gigs, man. But, you know, you guys are the best in Nassau and also a little bit of Suffolk and a little bit of Queens. But if I did your flyers, everybody mm-hmm. be at this okay. gig. You still in the art, on your art I, vibe. I was, I was phenomenal, man. But it's, what's interesting about you starting off as a radio sort of jock uh-huh. is that Public Enemy, the music had this urgency breaking news sort of feel mm-hmm. like like when you listen to a public enemy record you feel like you listen to the radio with all right. sound bites and there's even like on the early records it's like the future of the group is in danger and it's just mm-hmm. all this like yeah. urgency was yeah. that on purpose yes okay i'm trying to have you half pay attention to me right um voice is a voice i mean I, voice comes from heredity my, my father you know mm-hmm. who, my look when my father yelled at <laughs> if he yelled at us, it was heard. Mm-hmm. My brother would be like somewhere. You'd be at, matter of fact, your uncle's house <laughs> around the corner. Shut up, Uncle Mike. <laughs> and my father would yell out the door and he'd be like, and you'll see my brother, Eric, big shout, the E-Global. 
You didn't hear me talk. You didn't hear me yell. Uh, <laughs> everybody heard my father. So all he'd be at the top of Eric Chucky, and it'd be like, yo, everybody heard him. So I have that voice that really seriously Good never, voice. never got cracks in it. Never, I could yell over a mountain, man. So if anything, as an MC, I can say that I, I am the best at. It wasn't the rhymes, wasn't the flow, it wasn't the the lyrics, wasn't the I know I'm louder than anybody. That's louder could, than a bomb. Yo, man, I I could be louder. I could be so I've blown speakers, I've blown <laughs> yeah. mics out. I mean, when I was young, I was man, I would I would I would just show off when I was young and just blow the tubes. You know, <laughs> so like yeah, and then they'd be like, look at you know, I was when I first started, I was an MC that make a radio shack system sound like a trillion dollars. <sighs> So there's a combination. He's like, Hank and Keith can make a Radio Shack system sound like a trillion dollars, and I was the perfect MC right. for them. And he's like, yo, man, it's not what you buy, mm-hmm. it's what you got. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you ain't never going to get it if you ain't got it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, things change later on, but that's where that comes from. Okay. Man. That's Speak- where it changes from. Speaking of your parents, and you said you're from a family of the arts, your mom did theater, right? She used to throw yeah. plays yeah, around Roosevelt? Yeah, my mom Roosevelt. did, um, it was, it started the Roosevelt Community Theater. Were yeah. you ever in any of her plays? Yeah, I was in plays, <laughs> hated it. I hated being the stage manager. I hated <laughs> doing all of it. And we all thank my mom to this day because, mm. I mean, it's stage. So here as- Right, as, you do, develop that, the skills. It, yeah. it all came stage back cousin. without even noticing what you was like, mm-hmm. you know, and trust me, man, my, my mom would be like, all right, let's go up to the school. And I got to be like the the assistant trade manager, uh, uh, stage manager. And I got to make the flyers. I got to do all that stuff. But what my moms did to, to Roosevelt, creating a theater there where it was no mm-hmm. theater. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's almost like your family, the bookstore and stuff yeah. like that. You got to do these things. Or they, you know, you could be in a serious, serious situation where mm-hmm. it just ain't done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody got to do it. Somebody got to do it. Yeah. You know, and uh, my mom's did that for like 10 years and it really went well. It trained us. People like Eddie Murphy is in it. You know, mm-hmm. people, I mean, everybody in the town at least toyed with it. Right. That didn't want to, I mean, didn't want to play ball or whatever. So they toyed with it. It was like, all right, or they might have went out and auditioned right. for something. Me, I took it for granted because right. I was like, all right, you got to help mommy with her thing, man. Right. I want to kind of go to the park or something, but you know, you mommy, didn't have a choice. You had yeah, to you do had it. no choice. So, right. but but that was seriously um, training ground for me, and um, mm-hmm. and we all got involved with it, man. And it was it was it was major, man, okay. major. Um, my introduction to hip hop was in nineteen eighty eight. When it takes a nation of millions to hold us back, first dropped. That's such an impactful, powerful title. Now, Public Enemy and you, as a solo artist, of the titles of the records mm-hmm. have always been so impactful. Yeah. Explain to me why you've made such a conscious decision to title not just the records but the songs so vividly. Well, I come up with a title and it's easier to write the song. Okay. Mm. Yeah. It's like go in there and then then you got to use your imagination. Mm-hmm. So if you come up with an illustrious title, you mm-hmm. can fill it. And that that's pretty much my, you know, okay. the thing that worked for me. Now, sometimes an idea will come, divine intervention, you cap it with a title. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of times for me, I could get it, get the ball rolling in a, in a, a great place for me throughout these last 33 years, really 40 years, is uh, the car and dr- long mm-hmm. drives. Because that becomes my studio, becomes my training ground, becomes mm-hmm. my, I mean, I can't. You know, I, I get on the road and I drive, and that's where the ideas always yeah, came. Head gets clear. I wrote Yo Bum Rush's show in the car as a mm. messenger. Okay. <laughs> so me and Flav, right? Mm. 
was driving and we formed Public Enemy Number One after a day of moving furniture for my pops because we moved furniture around New York City. The Public Enemy Number One was moving your furniture. Yeah, moving wow. furniture, exactly. <laughs> moving furniture. And then when we finally dropped off all the furniture and got to Long Island, you know, then I did my pause tape thing and all. I said, yo, Flav, come in this room, man. Just open this up and close it out. And mm. that came from Schoolie D when he had Code Money open up on Gucci yeah. Time. And, uh, you know, so Code Money opened up on Gucci Time was his, his DJ as well. Okay. You know, it's also James, me and Flavor, James Brown, Bobby Bird. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody over there, get on up. Get you know, up, so right. that period of James Brown. Understanding the vocal dynamic and yes, the, it's, yeah. it's like, I got bass, but it ain't totally bassy. Right. Got a little treble. And Flavor got treble, but it ain't all treble. Right. It's, it's like, mm-hmm. really it like both, Chip and Fife, too. It was yeah, like, and both of them irritating yeah. as fuck sometimes. Right, so we right, wanted, right. And, we, and trust me, we wanted to make music seriously that will make your girlfriend run out the room. Mm. I knew if I made records that my girlfriend would run out of the room, we were good. <laughs> I hated all that Luther Vandross, right. all that mid-80s syrupy shit, man. I hated that shit. R&B was very begging uh, and hard bottoms yo, back man, then. I, yo, man. Mind McLeanin. Yeah, man. Like, was, like 90s church music, man. Yeah. I was like, yo, man. I, A lot sorry. of hip-hop at that point that was very, like, strictly hardcore tracks, not no New Jack Swing. Like, it was very, very anti-R&B, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's, we had to do that, though. You had to bring the noise, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, of course, you're not you're not in your slow moments with no beats. Right. But I'm saying... Except like, for LL. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> when he, I'm yo. alone in my room, it's time to stare at the oh, ball. LL's, LL's, the, the, LL's the master, man. No it's doubt. like the dude that can actually do that. And I seen... And and just diss somebody on a on a hard diss right. record. Right, right. In the next quarter, I, I travel with LL, man, in the glory years mm. and in the later years as well, man. And I seen... LL in front of crowds make a crowd do what most people don't make a crowd that's do. Right. That's and, right. And that's a very important aspect too. It's like, once you remove all the elements out of hip hop and just base it down to the MC, mm-hmm. a lot of times people give me like, well, they give me a top MC list and I'm like, say, have you seen them in front of any Have crowds? you seen them live? Have you seen them in it's, front it's of Because it's literally the master of ceremony. If you're not mastering a ceremony, you're not an MC. Yeah, mm-hmm. you gotta, you gotta rethink that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, I seen I seen Big Daddy Kane make people cry, make people cry, and then get up and dance. <laughs> I know exactly, right? And then spit while dancing, and then spit while dancing. Now that's the, that's that's the feat. Doing a choreographed routine with other dancers and spitting hard bars, hard bars, man. Right. This is what you know. People like to this that, day, to this day. Well, people like that made me train guy, young guys, well, then, then young guys, right? Leaders of the New School and Buster all of them. That's interesting because that was my next question. A lot of people don't understand that Leaders of the New School, I was going to talk about Yes, sir. Don't Believe the Hype. Yes, sir. And how many catchphrases and vocal samples came from that. And yeah. one of them is Leaders of the New School. Exactly. It, and it leaves the New School uncool, never played the rules, you know. Mm-hmm. So Another one was a coming from the school with all hard knock. That was everywhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> But yeah, Leaders yeah. of the New School, for that group, Charlie Brown to me sounded like you. Yeah, I mean they 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 were young guys in the neighborhood, Buster, Dinko, Charlie Brown, Johnny Juice. Right. Was Buster Milo. the same back then? Same Buster energy. Buster was. Uh, listen, they all were like what you call whippersnappers. Okay. Like <laughs> sit young your ass down type dudes. Leaves of the new school was in the room at the same time. We were developing the track for Rebel Without a Pause. Okay. So the reason is like we in developing the track for Rebel Out of Pause, which is like combinations of Miles Davis and also the grunt and so on, right? Mm-hmm. 
these dudes was running up the wall. I swear to God, Buster and, and, and Charlie <laughs> running up the wall in our studio. And we like, sit the fuck down. Right, you know, right. Every yeah, time yeah. we would go, and they, and they would just go into this crazy, wild, gyrated dance. It's like, love it. I know I love the it. The sound of the Zekers. That's what I said. I know I love it, mm-hmm. but these motherfuckers are insane on it. Because to tell you the truth, there was another thing that mm-hmm. also they were going off to, and it was um, Sign of Family Stone mm-hmm. sped up. Thank you for talking to me, Africa. Mm-hmm. So it went doom, 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 doom. Mm-hmm. So those two records, these guys are running up the wall. <laughs> I know the the rebel thing is going to work, right? But that horn shit, great. Yeah, but so seeing energy. them crazy with it, you know, I was like, okay, that's that's a cosign. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we used to make those guys like, okay, run around the track and spit verses. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now you, backwards around the track and spit verses because right. you know what and, and don't never you're going to come in with other acts so you be the act that never stops moving mm-hmm. you know it's crazy remember I said to you earlier we was talking about how when I heard House of Pain album title mm-hmm. uh, Truth Crushed to the Earth Will Rise Again it right. made me feel like they was doing a public enemy thing um, but we had Everlast on the show and I asked about Jump Mm-hmm. jump around yeah. and he said it's because I was touring with leaders in the new school <laughs> he said they was on stage jumping up right. and down and they, 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 they would be like jump jump and Mug said we need to do that on a song yep. so yep. shout out to leaders in the new school yep. for making that happen shout out to Muggs and, and Everlast mm-hmm. too for being able to recognize that you know Public Enemy is the first group to go into Ireland mm-hmm. we go into Ireland end of 87 man mm-hmm. you want to talk about it was cold it was really outside trinity which mm-hmm. was really the posh mm-hmm. british at that time you know at that mm-hmm. time in ireland it was going down right the ira ireland, shit yeah, I, yeah ira northern ireland belfast mm-hmm. i mean yeah you know i mean hardcore hardcore right. and so we was like well, we don't feel like playing for these british kids who are in trinity which is kind of like mm-hmm. walled up and protected by the aristocracy there, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, everybody in Dublin, man, they like bone broken. They mad at, yeah. at this aristocracy. So we made sure before we play at Trinity, and the kick was like like 5.30 in the morning, T. Like 5.30 mm. in the morning. Like, like dance hours. 5.30 is like the middle of, into some collegiate weekend shit, yeah. like, right? We made sure we went into some hard knock clubs, man. Mm. And yo, man, them clubs, man, in, in Dublin, Dublin, 1987, yeah. man. So we put legendary shows down that people never, ever mm. forgot, you know. And then, therefore, it spread. Mm. And everybody realized that you ain't got to be like, you know, us. You can be you, mm-hmm. but this is how we do it. Yeah. And 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 go at it. Right? You ain't from the States. Y'all ain't from London. But we ain't from New York City. We from Long Island. Mm-hmm. You got to be harder. Island, swifter better and just keep coming with it no and, doubt um, yeah I saw like the minute they did the House of Pain thing mm-hmm. you saw I it said, it's gonna, yeah it's gonna yeah. It's, it's forget about it and just to clear some things up because I got a, de- a debate with one of my friends Buster Rhymes is from Uniondale correct yes alright but that's in the beginning we, we wanted to shave off all Long Island all, all Long Island. He was born in Brooklyn, though, yeah, so I'm claiming yeah, him. Yeah, but he grew up in Uniondale. <laughs> well, see, this is a this was a big, this was a big schism. Like the Long do, Island Brooklyn yeah, thing. Uh, yeah, that's no, all. No, like that's people don't never want to claim Long Island. Not, not just that's Long Island from. Brooklyn thing. Just Long Island and everywhere else thing. Because Long Island was made up of migration of transplants mm-hmm. from the city. My, my parents were born in Harlem. Uh-huh. Uh, both of them on the same street, 151st right. Street. Pasta News so, the same thing as people born in the Bronx. Right. Diamond D. Was went to uh, college in Long Island. Right. So yeah. imagine the energy mm-hmm. 
coming into one spot mm-hmm. in a 20 year period mm-hmm. from all these boroughs except for Staten Island and Brooklyn is technically <laughs> on Long Island and right, so right. is Queens yeah, which is why yeah. I don't understand why y'all always trying to be like y'all not a part of New York <laughs> well see you got no history right? <laughs> you know it was succeeded I mean or added into New York in 1898 when they built the Brooklyn Bridge Brooklyn was the largest city well the next to the largest one of the largest cities in the country and then <laughs> But then also some fakery bullshit politics uh-huh. made Brooklyn a part of New York City as a borough. Right. That's that so Tammany Hall like, shit. Yeah. I mean, most yeah. people in Brooklyn, you know, it's, it's kings and queens. Right. Mm-hmm. We the Kings so, County. Yeah, kings County and Queens, Queens County. County. Right. That's, at, that's at the head of the fish. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you break down New York to even New Yorkers, it's an amazing thing to break down mm-hmm. because New Yorkers actually move that music through mm-hmm. by what? Mass tra- the greatest mass That's transit right. system in the world. If it wasn't for the subway, I would not be doing any Yo, of this. Mm. And, and then you can get from one place miles to another place at the at a low cost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I mean, we was hopping the turnstile, so well, you no, were at a no cost. And, and, and Bernard yeah. gets it, put a little wedge in there for a little while. He did, you know, <laughs> he, he started he bust that gun. But that's <laughs> in the subway. That's what's so amazing about New York and living other places. Like people don't understand it because it's like even though I'm from Long Island, like it's nothing for me to go to the city. Right. Whereas you're here in California, if you're in L.A. It's hours for you to go even to on San the Francisco L- or something. L-I-R-R. Like that. I used to hide in the bathroom. Right. You need to, to you're a criminal, right. Tyler. Hey, man, right. I had to get around, bro. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the study of New York. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could be here for hours talking about the study of New York, and people be like, "I want to hear part two and part three. Yeah. the study of, of New York, black and That's brown show, and Latino New York, just alone, because <laughs> right. the styles traveled, mm-hmm. the cassette tapes traveled. Um, there was no reason for a person from the planet of Brooklyn to go to the Bronx at all. They're both outskirts. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's no reason for somebody in the Bronx right. to go to Brooklyn. But I'd hop that train to go battle somebody. Oh yeah, later yeah. on. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, in yeah, the, back yeah. in the day, there no, was, was no separate. reason. Yeah. So hip hop started in both places. Yeah. The hip hop that started in Brooklyn was more like up tempo, a little bit Caribbean style. Mm-hmm. There's not as many Caribbeans in the Bronx, but you have Puerto Ricans. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those, and then when they infused it with James Brown, that's mm-hmm. why you got Cool Herc goes from Jamaica to Brooklyn first, and then goes to the Bronx. Yeah, and becomes same with fixture. KRS. Right, yeah, because you got. Yeah. The, the the reggae style or the Jamaican yeah. style of turntables yeah. and, and microphone. So all this is a New York story that branches out. You know, you go into places like Newark, which is black. Newark got people straight from Georgia, right? That, but mm-hmm. but also been in Newark for fifty to sixty years. Right. That too. great migration, right? So when you study migration of black people, man, you get all the reasons why culture is culture. Mm-hmm. And so when people actually figure out, like they try to say, "I got hip hop figured out," it's like you don't even know nothing about black people, man. Mm-hmm. man. You need to sit the fuck. You have the, like right. for example, if I brought out my my mom just showed me last night pictures that her cousin took in the seventies. But she also had an album of pictures from the 50s. Now, white America, when they say that, you know, I mean, you go out and look at billboards and mm-hmm. they got all kinds of things where, where it seems like everything's mixed. And everything mixed is, is a great thing, I think, for human beings. Mm-hmm. But the business ain't mixed. That's right. <laughs> the ownership's ain't mixed. That's right. Top so it's like, 1% is 96% white on purpose. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it could be mixture all the way around in order to get a head nod out of mm-hmm. me. But when people say, well, I got, I got black 
folks think, you know, understand that. Man, all I got to do is bring out a photo album from the 50s. That's mm. the dark ages, bro. Mm-hmm. So 60s when people start to figure out like, okay, Motown and a mm-hmm. little bit of Dr. King. The 50s, little... that's the reason, that's what the Make America Great thing is. They want to go back to the 50s. Right, when yeah. we was just like not considered, but we had our yeah. own thing so thick because mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an interesting period. It's post-World War II. Mm-hmm. So that period from what, 46 to 61, that 15 year old period, black folks were honing out. We was honing out muscles, swords, and knives, man, mm-hmm. up the, for the for the battle. They've got kids of parents who kind of like took it that they said, we ain't gonna take that shit. Fuck mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So the 50s had a bubbling up period of young people looking at, uh, nah, you know, and then the, then you got, of course, things that get documented a little better, mm-hmm. uh, more about James Baldwin errors and stuff like Miles and all that. And, the 60s yeah. become the coming out period. But the 50s was the bubbling up period yeah. where it's still unknown. And because it's unknown, it's a lot of ourselves that we don't know. And then the further you go in time, that's 70 years ago. Mm-hmm. That's 70 years ago. So a person like myself going on 60, I kind of like, it's still kind of dark to me, mm-hmm. but it's brought to life by my elders but my elders are transitioning. Right. So we have things in, in our culture, and this is even happening in the culture that we have, which made sampling and all that stuff so great because it kept a little bit of us, mm-hmm. you know, and to ride on and revere and salute. And it's like, wow, that that, it, that that ain't never coming back. When Ray Charles disappears, mm-hmm. that ain't coming back. You can right. mimic all you want. It's something in the bones that be like, yo, that, ain't returning. Right. We have recordings, we have documentation. That's right. That's beautiful. But something is missing. Every 10-year right. period, a piece disappears. It turns mm-hmm. into something else. But that's why we have to also watch out for the gadgets. The gadgets mm-hmm. are here to enhance and to dig in. They're tools. Mm-hmm. They're not replacements. Mm-hmm. Which brings us up to like... It's imitation. Why, why imitation I'm, of life. Why I'm trending all of right. a sudden. And... um. And it is also why I'm here too, right. I guess too, right? I have a question that's a little off topic because as you're talking and you're there's like, there's no such thing as off topic. Oh, you're right. there's no such thing not, as off not topic. In this well, okay, yeah, this is- so you're you're just you're educating a lot of people on black culture, and I know that you think so. You just think <laughs> a I, lot of I think people I don't know these like things. Put it well. You know what? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. A lot of people don't know these things. And it's like, I, you know, growing up in Roosevelt, which is supposed to be considered like one of the worst neighborhoods to grow up, you're like bred on black culture. Why do you think that that particular town raises their children on black culture like that so they can go out and, you know, share it with the world? That was the rule of thumb in the 70s and the 60s because, like I was telling y'all before, it was a melting pot. So you had people from all over New York City in one little square mile town. Mm-hmm. So you not, you had everybody trust together, but then at the same time, it was competition. Mm-hmm. It was, a lot of times it was like straight out like hatred. Like, oh, you from the Bronx? You from Brooklyn? I mean, you got people living next to each other yeah. talking their allegiances to a spot they were kind of born at, but they didn't really live. Mm-hmm. But they still had their allegiances. Their parents were from there. Mm-hmm. So people wore that kind of like on their sleeves in the first couple of years until Roosevelt became... This is Roosevelt, a rough place to go into because they rough on each other. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, but that grew into something else. And that growth was was that growth was um what do you call it? cut short with um drugs. Okay. The eighties drugs. Yeah. The end of the seventies. I could go on and on and talk mm-hmm. about 
what happened, how it happened, mm-hmm. and what made Public Enemy said we're going to attack the drug game culturally. Right. One of the ways in which PE tackled the crack ep- epidemic mm-hmm. in New York City and in in marginalized communities was the song Night of Living Baseheads yeah. with the video and PE videos was like movies man like y'all took the video to a before Hype Williams took the video right. to a new extreme like was Brett Ratner involved in some of that stuff back in the day nah nah he, that's did, just, he did a PE video way later in the game okay as a favor for uh for Russell right but you know Hank Hank Shockley. Yeah, he would be able to go in. He watched movies a lot. Right. I don't watch movies. He go into the magic. No, I heard Burn Hollywood Burn. You're huh? not you're not with all this steel magnolia <laughs> shit. <laughs> it ain't really like that. We got Matthew Modine coming know, in later. I, later. Know, I was but, like, I want to introduce him to Chuck D. <laughs> but but you know, like, you know, Hank would has a visionary, mm-hmm. so he would look at the songs that I write and mm-hmm. then take that next level. Me, I don't like being on camera, man. Right. I don't like no camera. I never Well, you're like, good at it. I'm, I mean, it, it's you do a, what you got to do. It's, a, it's, it's what you got to do in our trade. Right. I hate cameras. I hate videos mm-hmm. to this day. I'm but like, that's crazy because like those videos, by the time I get to Arizona, Black Steel and Hour of Chaos, yeah. these videos are so so powerful, brother, and yeah. and and takes it and uh and night, fight the power, you know, for the mm. Spike Lee movie, like takes a nation of millions to hold us back. T- to me, really showcase you and Flavor and and the S one Ws and Griff and, just, Terminator. and, and Terminator yes, X yes. in a, in a, in a way that just was so iconic and classic. Yes. Um, before we talk more about the what's going on why you're trending now right. can we talk about I'm, flavor, tre- I'm flavor? trending like a chicken sandwich <laughs> <laughs> you okay Popeye's, Popeyes. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about Flavor Flav as a musician mm-hmm. as a bass player as a, as a MC as probably the greatest hype man of all time right. and why he was brought into the group yeah because he's Flavor anywhere he goes he'll suck the fame out of any any spot he's mm-hmm. he, he's his own universe man mm-hmm you can't really fit him with anything. As a matter of fact, first met Flavor, he came with Son of Berserk, who was then called the Townhouse Three. He was a part right. of that crew. And the Change his style. The first thing I told <laughs> him, man, I said he was he had, you know, he had a black jacket on, black mustache. He wore his mustache out, black Jerry curl, black hat, black pants, black sneakers, a black keyboard because he was a musician mm-hmm. with them, and also a black pack of cigarettes which players came out at the time he scratched it off <laughs> and the first thing I said ever to him is like man can't smoke up here man and I, <laughs> and I hold DJs to it man take your take your cigarette across the street bro you know <laughs> did he have a clock too no the I was, was the one that wore the clock oh, no, okay you were the clock oh. first I wore the clock was back this then, clock just bigger is that what it was well first I wore the clocks mm-hmm. and I told him to wear a clock but we wasn't public enemy we all worked together mm-hmm. and the kids at that time were wearing stopwatches I remember Sports that Illustrated. remember that's yeah. 86 85 yeah. then Fortune Officers department store had matter of fact it was Son of Berserk who gave a clock and said these are clocks that they use for the bathroom Mm-hmm. In case you know you can hang the clock on a hook mm-hmm. and go you know take a shower or whatever and they, they were at the store called Fortunars mm-hmm. so then our first tour he got one I got one and we both wore clocks to say right. signify okay what time what is time it? is it yeah. okay you, you know, know what like, time it is are you aware mm-hmm. um, this is what's happening to you right now this is R&B it's nation this time it's, yeah, countdown it's, to Armageddon all that stuff yeah. you know and um, but I we move around on the stage a lot 
So I got tired. There was a clock going and hit my chest. <laughs> heavy. Boom, boom, boom. I had a little knot in my chest. Right. So I'm like, okay, this, this clock is coming off of me. Right. And flavor just got bigger and bigger and bigger. It also went along with his ego at the time. <laughs> so we said, bro, you're going to hang yourself off Big Ben one of these days, bro. Mm-hmm. But that's where that got signified. And then 30 years ago to this month, Fear of the Black, Fear of the Black Planet was coming out. And the lead-off song to that was now always a joke. Mm-hmm. That was Flavor's shot. We said, dude, you got to lead this 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 record because I kind of really exhausted, not exhausted myself, but I said, mm-hmm. it's time. Mm-hmm. You have to be a star. Be, you know, you have to take the lead. Mm-hmm. That's why you see me in... Um, which was the easiest video day of my life. And now when was a joke, I pop up at the, at the end. Yeah, like, <laughs> real quick. Two seconds, man. Right. Like, it's like, and that, that, that Quest Love said recently, he's the dude that makes a cameo in his own video. <laughs> is it, I, I was listening to some uh, documentary, and is it true that uh, Def Jam didn't want Flavor Flav and that you were like, it's both of us are not? And if so, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you really fight for him to make sure he was a part of the group? Well, we have different stories here. Hank Shockley says that, yeah, we, we should have him. I said I should have him because that's how we, that's how we started. Public Enemy Number 1 has him in the beginning and the end. He gave me room to breathe in my verses because mm-hmm. I'm like, rapid fire, rapid fire, rapid fire, mm-hmm. give me a break. So when we start constructing records, remember I constructed the tapes and he buffered it out. And that style came from like like Schooly D and Cold Money. Mm-hmm. And then when we became more of a group, I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want to do no records. Mm-hmm. But if I'm going to do a record, you got to take what we what, what I bring you and take what we bring you. And that's why Yo Burmester's show is called Yo Burmester's show. It ain't mm-hmm. Chuck D gets a record deal. Right. It's like Hank comes in. Bill Stephanie becomes an executive. Harry Allen becomes the first hip hop journalist. Mm-hmm. You know, then you got Flavor, who has no definition and becomes a hype man. You have Griff and the S1Ws. What the fuck are they? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, okay, what well, that, okay, you just take Terminator X. Take, you gotta take everybody. You know, Bum Rush the Show means you trying to get in a spot that you, that they, they don't let you in. Mm-hmm. And you can't afford what's at the door. So all you gotta go, do is get a toehold in that door at the side mm-hmm. and you all in. Boom. Right. And that's how we, that was our invasion of the record industry under our terms and mm-hmm. we said you know we're gonna give ourselves two years to change the game mm-hmm. and uh if i'm gonna do it you know what i'm saying if right, i'm right. gonna do it as a matter of fact three things i've done in my life ended up because i didn't want to do that i got coerced coerced into doing mm-hmm. like even the prophets of rage i don't want to do that mm-hmm. conversations conversations something happened and mm-hmm. i'm like okay here i am and boom it's one of the great things that happened now when flavor of love popped off oh my favorite show <laughs> i'm sure it is i loved it <laughs> <laughs> shout out new york how did how did you feel? Because I know how I felt as a Public Enemy fan, and I wasn't pleased, and I was yeah. not a fan of that show. He was from Roosevelt, and he was on TV. <laughs> like that was awesome. Flavor is ain't it, it, you know it ain't he, nothing's fake about him. Mm-hmm. He's authentic. He was having a tough time in the nineties as I was doing some things, and he was in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And he comes to my house. As a matter of fact, Hank was over my house, and um, it just wasn't. He wasn't going to make it in the Bronx where he was living. Yeah. Situations turned around. He got a lawsuit out of that. It's just he was spiraling in the Bronx. Look, when we're a group, we can hold it all together because, especially back then, the addiction Flav had was not drugs; it was fame. Mm-hmm. And you got kind of see that today that mm-hmm. people they are addicted to the little screen mm-hmm. and putting their face on it. They addicted. That's their addiction. Flavor's the early addict addiction is drug, uh, not drugs, fame. Mm-hmm. 
And there was a period where everybody was doing their thing. You know, you can't monitor what a person does when they're at their crib. I mean, they're mm-hmm. grown-ass man. Yeah. Got their own kids and grandkids in some cases. As you keep a monitor on it, but, you know, I mean, you ain't up on it every day because, I mean, when you come together, I bring everybody together, then we work together. When everybody get off that last date or that last tour, so mm-hmm. you've been living together all this time, mm-hmm. it's like I see you like in a couple months, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, I call you once in a while, but it's like you talk about a group that that at that time it was ten years in a row. Mm-hmm. That was thirty years, mm-hmm. so it's like I kind of like don't want to see you. Yeah, but, I understand. Yeah, so um, he's having a tough time in the Bronx, and this was like ninety six. And it was suggested he just moved out, go to L.A., man, because you could be you in L.A. and it be you'd be a star, right? Mm-hmm. You, I mean, uh, you being you in the Bronx, you end up You're as a dead man. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. It's just like, and he went out and and carved some inroads out in L.A. first, hooked up with one of our good sisters that we know, Princess Hemphill, stayed with her for a while, you know, kind of like. Had a little direction. I think he made an appearance on some somebody's um, reality some, show. Some reality yeah. show. They was in and, the surreal life. They was and on surreal and sucked the star stardom right. out of that show. Like we knew he would, right? Because yeah. I used to always say, "Yo, Rico is his nickname, Flav. Listen, man, you need to do movies or TV or something. Because if you're not gonna work on songs and stuff like that, you need to do something. Somebody got you. Got to be productive, man. Yeah. If you ain't gonna show up to the studio, you ain't gonna be a rehearsal. You need to. But but let me tell you, when you get in that TV world, the motherfuckers are gonna be waking you up at six in the morning, man. None of this, like you gotta read scripts. Mm-hmm. I would tell them, I like, you gotta do this, you gotta do it. But that's your world, bro. Little do I know that <laughs> all you had to do is wake up and the camera would be on. That's the beginnings of reality TV. That's right. Because mm-hmm. we all an early icon in yep. it. Yeah. A lot always, of this world is built on what flavor did. Right. We we always knew you when you walk in the room, you're gonna suck the star. I don't care who is in the room. Mm-hmm. Who is in the room? Flavor's gonna get noticed in that room mm-hmm. without over overtly really trying. He's just a just that natural pest motherfucker, right? <laughs> and then I went to a bunch of different reality shows on from there. But we knew that. I mean, mm-hmm. this is your thing. Now, how to control it? it? One one guy he had in his corner is his cousin, great guy, Greg Johnson, who was his cousin and his accountant and his manager for many years. And so you're like, I'm happy he's doing something, man. I'm happy he found it. Now, the content or whatever, I was like, I ain't watching the fucking TV anyway, mm-hmm. but he's got to do something. Yeah. Because if he ain't going to be in the studio and knock out these songs and all that, or, you know, he's got to do right. something, man. I he feel can't like, be like Also, he can't be like, yo, man, when we going to go on tour? That's the most irritating thing mm-hmm. forever. You know, you got everybody got their own lives and like, yo, let's go to Brazil. Let's go to Brazil. I was right. like, yo, man, I'm like trying to stay put for a minute. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like, he got his thing. He's making his money. Hope he's making a ton of it. Great. But I've, I've heard you also describe Flavor's role in the group as sort of being sort of this clown prince figure on purpose. Yeah, because he's a lot smarter than that. Right. And a lot of times people, you know, would say, well, you're Flavor Flav, he's this this guy. He's the world's oldest teenager. Mm-hmm. Like they used to call Rufus Thomas. You can't explain But you have Rufus to expect Thomas. some of that, I guess. Of course. Yeah, so it's like- I always expect, 
getting the heat and hits from people who don't know you that you don't know. Mm -hmm. So being that they don't know you and you don't know them, you can't really have your day ruined and take a Mm -hmm. grain of salt. I think the end all is balancing out so your narrative would be like, okay, this is what it is. But it's going to be some shit rain that falls somewhere on the side. So it was like, okay, um, what I was really upset the most was the company, the production company, Mindless Entertainment. Was that the name of the production company? Mindless Entertainment. <laughs> Sounds and they about made, right. <laughs> fits right in. And then later on, I've come to find out they made a deal with Mindless Entertainment for no back end. Oh. But, you know, I'm not... Right. And you've, you've been a staunch uh, advocate for artist rights and so that had to be and that upsetting. Don't mean that it don't mean that it, artist rights always, you know, flow my way. Right. But let me tell you, I'm a, I've been fighting, fighting, fighting. Lost some, won some, yeah. Lose some, win some. But you know, not having any back end rights. But then again, I'm not in nobody's business. I'm right. not, I definitely ain't in Flavor's business. But that was something I think hurt him down the line because you got this company that's dictating to him mm-hmm. what the money's going to be mm-hmm. and it looks like a big amount of money when it's in the hand. Right. And at the time, it was so culturally important too when Flavor of Love and all the spinoff shows, it was so... It started so, a huge Yeah, yeah those, those guys. And then it find out that... Yeah, I, I, was, I always gave those guys a side eye when I saw them because I'm like, you don't give a fuck about him. Right. Uh, you don't give a fuck about none of this. You give a fuck about... And, and, and guarantee we can't find them now. Now, right, mindless entertainment. They right. some they've morphed to some other greater height somewhere. Right, they've built buildings somewhere in some city nearest you. I was uh, listening to an interview and I didn't see who said it, but it was said that uh, there was an issue because they didn't want um, Flavor of Love to be like the legacy of Public Enemy because some people that are around that age group, like they will remember Flavor Flav from that instead of this iconic group. It, it gets a little convoluted um, because. Like I said, we've been to over 100 countries. So there's places when, before everything became like computerized and viral. They didn't know fucking nothing about no damn VH1 or Flavor Flav mm-hmm. on TV. That became another world, another existence. And it became a discussion in the United States of America. And I had to be truthful is that our base has never been the USA. Mm. Our base has mm. always been London. Base for your face, London. Yo, when people talk about yeah. the international, international, I say that every time I perform in London because of y'all. Yo, listen, mm-hmm. I'm telling people, the minute you heard it takes a nation of millions to hold us back, you know goddamn well our base it's is in not London, New York. It's it starts with London, and they start out like, <sighs> yeah, that blew me away and, when I heard and it, and that's why we we wanted to put that on there because we said, look, we ain't number one in New York. We ain't number one in Philly, although we 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 had Philly for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You only get a new U.S. You only get a U.S. city for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we took London, man. And when you take London, you taking the rest of the continent, right? So we traveled the first year. We we was with LL Cool J, and Eric B, and Rock Kim. Mm-hmm. Eric and Ra had already had their their stakes in the United States, and LL was a you know was a hip hop superstar, mm-hmm. also a USA superstar. Mm-hmm. We traveled internationally, so our our stories were really more topical about okay, letting people know with roots either from the Caribbean mm-hmm. in the UK or Nigeria in many cases or India in many cases, and right. said, yo, we talking to y'all. Mm-hmm. And then that stuck on them more than coming from the Yankee perspective of the United States. Right. And we dug into that. And our interviews were two or three pages that they read. Right. So when they showed up, especially our first year there, mm-hmm. it caught 
Eric and Rod and LL by surprise because they was like, God damn. Right. Remember, we played all year. We played all year on the Def Jam yeah, yeah, yeah. with LL and, and Eric and um, Dougie Fresh who taught us. See, Dougie Fresh and, and Ecstasy from Houdini kind of taught us stage ropes and, mm. you know, mentored me and stuff People like that. People don't mention Houdini enough. Yeah, oh man. I mean, you yeah. can look at Grandmaster D, Ecstasy, and Jalil. I, I watched them every mm-hmm. night and then ecstasy was just like no nah, you do that move mm-hmm. to the left and don't turn your head there the people already know i mean that the value of mm-hmm. the teaching from dougie fresh dougie fresh just ta- told that he was the one that came up with the s1w's moving okay the world's greatest entertainer yeah, doug doug's my teacher mm-hmm. in ecstasy my first year okay yeah so i mean of course when you when you were in your first year, I mean, our second show ever was we was in an arena mm-hmm, and yeah. playing with the Beastie Boys. So the nerves I had, man, mm-hmm. it's like I mean, I had the jitters, man, all the way up to that summer. Right. But you got to get it out. Right. Nobody starts dope. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody kind of starts whack until you figure it out. The first time I saw like a arena full of people, man, I thought it was pizza or it looked right. like a rug. Right. So I'm trying not to fuck up. Right. I'm, I'm tight, man. And the first group or person that showed me that I could come and not be tight is uh, Mike D of the Beastie Boys. Mm. We're playing Buffalo, man, that first License the Ill show uh, tour. Mike D was so drunk, he fell out on the stage laughing and <laughs> being shit all over him. Right. And I was like, you could do that. Right. <laughs> so I, I wasn't nervous as much anymore. Right. So I was always different with antithesis right, right, right. on the other side. But, you know, those those type of things, you got to look at, you got to get taught to be dope. Right. And you got to find out who, where you could take from this and take from that. And then that allows you to see things different. I remember when I came on stage and you was in Cincinnati just blowing the house out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. You were high tech. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so yeah, flavor, you know, was is is the part that you pay attention to because hip hop has to be panoramic, especially mm-hmm. back then before screens. We know it's MC and DJing, dance and mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we were, you know. Right. MCs, the DJ and there's no description for flavor, so it's almost like art and right. dance. Right. And that's one's an art. But he had dance. the he had the the dances, and right? Just, yeah, he and, had and, and gear yeah. is art. Yeah, so you the see the S ones. Yeah. yeah, so it's all it's still being panoramic, mm-hmm. which would make you go head to head with a right. rock band. Although the 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 sound is from one source, right? But the panorama experience is like, oh shit! So you come in a spot, you feel the stage, right? And it's all emotion. So we used to call certain jams at the beginning, like you see football formations mm-hmm. with a with a wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Flanks over and cuts across. Mm-hmm. That's how we would do a song. Right. Like, boom. Every hut, hut one, I'm quarterbacking. Two, mm-hmm. three, go. You know, and, you, and we run the play. Mm-hmm. So we sports fans too. So we mixed right. all that stuff. So it looked, it did this thing crazy on stage and whatnot. Um, so, so where we come to full circle mm-hmm. to get this out. Yeah. Um, where, I, like I said, I didn't do the interview with you in December. <laughs> so therefore, I'm thrust in the middle where I'm trending like a like a chicken sandwich. And I was outside the country when all those chicken sandwiches were trending and confused the fuck out of me. <laughs> but after the Grammys, I mean, we were getting a Lifetime Achievement Award mm-hmm. by the Grammys. And Deborah Dugan was appointed to be the, the chairperson of NARA's. Now, I, I've had a, a relationship with Narrows and the Grammys that it was like, in the beginning, who gives a fuck about a goddamn Grammy? Mm-hmm. But people kind of take things out. Because I was going to ask about that, too. But they asked out of context. Mm-hmm. The context that that record was written in 87 for 88, 
there was no Grammy category for rap and hip hop mm-hmm. music. So we fought as a as an unofficial union that that happened. So I was like, who gives a fuck about a goddamn Grammy if they don't acknowledge us at all? Mm-hmm. So when they finally brought it in, I mean, look, there's pictures of us, salt, mm-hmm. pepper, iced tea, and all that on a roof saying, y'all got to do this. So when they finally did this, the first winner was uh, Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. Mm-hmm. We championed them because we all went and protested together. It wasn't about, oh, man, it wasn't Takes a Nation a Million to Hold Us Back. It wasn't Run DMC. It mm-hmm. was Jazzy Jeff. So that was a luke lukewarm um, selection. Mm-hmm. We didn't care about that. The whole key was getting it the category and that's when I made my peace with them and worked with the Grammys mm-hmm. after a while they got kind of like frivolous frivolous, and, and lazy with it mm-hmm. to the point where I think I heard Jay-Z say I drink champagne out of one of my I get these yeah, shit so that. much and I'm like then that means that there's a problem in the administration of what this genre is man there's a problem with who has the narrative of this this wonderful genre it's not thorough. It's not wide enough to acknowledge everything in it. It's just taking it from the fucking top of the corporate heap and saying, this is the winner. It's like, yay, this year is Jay-Z. That, no knock against the top. But there's a middle and there's an area of all kinds of activity that at least at least needs a bigger council. Mm-hmm. I said, this shit got to change. So Deborah Dukin, who's recently appointed, she talked me into the changes that would take place. It won't just be reflecting old white men just, just you know, Clive, throwing the Clive Davis, you know, mm-hmm. select that people and stuff like that. I mean, I love Alicia Keys. That year, I think she won an eight or 11. I right. said, yo, man, somebody's pulling the fucking levers somewhere, man. Yeah. So Deborah Dukin, you know, at this lifetime achievement, if I'm going to come out of my bag to come down and get a lifetime achievement, what the, what the fuck for? It's about the genre. It ain't about public. I know my accomplishments, public right. enemy. I worked hard for us to get a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Grammy thing, yeah, I, I cool, but okay, what, what's the changes that you guys going to do? And then they fired her. So when they fired her, over the same bullshit that she said she was going to change, mm-hmm. I said, that's, you know, that's their thing. That's fuckery. I ain't going. Right. You have a red, and she was the one that talked me and convinced me to go to and be on the red carpet in celebration of it. I said, yeah, we got to do some more work from that. So I'll mm-hmm. be a symbol, but we got to administer this art form. You just can't throw a, a cup at people or whatever that, right. that trophy is. So, and then it was, um, so I got tired of the redefinition and the narrative change of hip hop. And then it was the murder of Pop Smoke. Mm. And regardless of like what, the young man was spitting, regardless of the young cats going around there and they on the edges, whether the the Bobby Schmurda, you know, and then he goes to jail and then the dude that signs him, it's like, well, you know, I just wanted to use him for <laughs> for the for the for 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 the bounce that he yep. brought to 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 the table. Mm-hmm. And then all the, you know, uh like and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, and it's like, yo, man, it's like Where's the grown pants or the ones that's minding the store? You would never see this out like a sports. They're the same age as NBA players. But there's coaches, there's agents, there's there's all kinds of people administratively that say, you know what, we let them do their thing, but we got to let them know that this is something that provides them an income, provides them a life that's taken care beforehand so they can fit into it. So you never see, mm-hmm. a, you rarely see a ball player get out of whack. They used to maybe 25 years ago. And they said, we got to also communicate with these young people, tell them what it is and really, you know, kind of nurture that and, and build it. 
And this is what's going to keep fans coming back even more for generations. And then there's going to be some sign of it's going to be interlocking mm -hmm. between, you know, um, people transitioning after ball playing into the business and all that. NBA does it well. The murder of Pop Smoke, man, to see that it was like the, the flashback to Nipsey Hustle last year. Mm -hmm. Like, we I have my rap station networks. We have right. 11, uh, 10 stations. You've been channels. doing it for years doing and for focus years. on international hip hop is right. very wonderful. And we play and we play music. We don't kind of deal with the dirt about it. We like, look, man, we don't try to boost people's music because they go in the studio, come out, mm -hmm. we're the place that they come. I've done it for 10 years mm -hmm. and really we're getting better. It's, it's really a great thing to have. It's free, it doesn't cost anybody anything. But the narrative for hip hop at the higher end is like all of a sudden becomes this attention once rappers die. Hmm. The dead rapper promotion thing. Jadakiss. Yeah. Who's coming in later today, but dead rappers get better promotion. Mm -hmm. Yo, man. It'd be all right, though. I was yeah. so pissed off. And you feel you feel bad for the you feel especially bad because the young man was ambushed, mm -hmm. home invasion, killed. But then this becomes the narrative that younger people look at and says, well, you know, he got famous and we see all kinds of weird science happening with that. And the last year with Nipsey, we've been playing Nipsey Hussle's music for years. Matter of fact, Nipsey Hussle was going to tour with PE, but he was one of the acts that we had to choose to tour with us as we did a national run. And we just didn't choose him, but I knew about him and we said, well, I'm like this. I said, well, I'll still try to figure out ways to boost your career. Mm -hmm. And then when he got murdered last year, for a ridiculous ass heinous damn mm -hmm. crime that we don't even know what once these guys murder somebody we never we never get a, a they like they disappear you rap like about we, that in sex and violence with KRS one that's the first lyric about how we don't know I wrote the lyric down too hold on well daddy O has a song called powder burns on my label daddy right. O for Stessis he said once upon a time not long ago a rapper got shot and no one knows who pulled the trigger on the kid and laid him in his grave and after the prayers and the street parade shit got forgot Yo, man, he kind of damn near predicted Biggie. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, but the shit ain't never going to forget Biggie because right. he's at such a height, but come on, man. Right. It's Shout like, out really? to um, Daddy-O, too, because he's redoing uh, uh, self-destruction right now. Daddy-O is phenomenal, man. Yeah, when you were on the original self-destruction. And, and, and Daddy-O from Stetson Sonic is, is, uh, has a label imprint mm -hmm. on my label called Old Dad Truth, man. Right. The dude has done five albums in the last two years. No doubt. Shout out to Daddy-O. And he's got another one coming out. Shout out to Daddy-O. Yeah, so it got, it got to, to be like like... Do rappers need to be killed to get noticed in hip hop? And this whole thing of bad news is the news and making people like, okay, you, you, you know, often my, um, my daughter, Dominique, who runs my company, she, she might say, dad, that's not a good look. You know, she might say that's yeah. not a good look. And I'm like saying, you know, when the fuck does the good look get fucking acknowledged? Cause the bad look got an elevator, man, and a rocket to it. And I'm just like saying, man, it's like, you know, like it's got to air out its dysfunction to get people to like to say, OK, there's a Talib who's one of the greatest of all time. Oh, and somebody could come out and be in an area of the swirl of dysfunction. And all of a sudden, it's not that, that just the people thing, but it's like the the billboards and they, they, they follow the story and they elevate the story and they're in power positions. But they would never elevate the story. It's like, like, well, the Mick Jagger, they might do some things, but also the good things are elevated too. Uh -huh. 
So what you know, so hip hop is only about the bad look. And the bad news is news is something they throw on, on black people. So so we might as well just be bad people because the only news that come out of us is bad news and that gets elevated. So we just some bad news motherfuckers, man. I got tired of that, man. Mm-hmm. And um, social media is like, uh, with, I always say like social media, like they sock med when the, the masses get transformed into them asses. They just move the M over, man. Right. And, and um. And I would say sucking their, their gadget, inhaling digital gases. So, mm. you know, that the whole Pavlov response of people um, at this point, I got ticked off on, on that. And then the pop smoke thing is that now they're going to pay attention to this young man. It's tragic. But then all of a sudden it's rises, rises up. And like you said, with Jada kids coming in to talk about the marketing and promotion of dead rappers, use that as a portal to say we a bunch of dead people. We're at our best when we're all fucking dead. Mm-hmm. Now, that might be looking deep into the fucking soil, but that's how it comes out in the fucking wash all around the world, mm-hmm. man. And we see the results, and it's just like, it's it's, it's the side shot. It's the shank move. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 niggas. And, and it's like, wow. you're not. And then it gets to a point where you ain't got to say it, but it's the intensity, it's the radiation that you kind of feel. Yeah, niggas. And me, at my age, I said, I got tired of it. For two or three months, I was telling people, man, really for half a year. Like, Chuck, you want to speak here? You want to speak there? And I said, well, I'm going to get this bridge put in. But really, I ain't got shit to say right now because anything that comes out of my mouth ain't going to be good, man. So I was sitting there thinking, and uh, one day I'd go through YouTube because I like watching old shit on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I stumbled again for the 15th time on Orson Welles' War of the Worlds mm. in 1938. <laughs> and a couple sparks happened when I looked at it. But then I don't like to pull no fucking bullshit on people. Don't trick and fool the people. But the fucking level of tricknology coming through gadgets right now is an all-time high, especially mm-hmm. in the art form I'm in. So, um, not to say that me and Flavor are on two different pages, because we are always on two different pages, mm-hmm. but we, we felt that over the past few years, flavor stock is low. Hmm. Anybody could take a shot at him, man, could get a good shot of wow, you know? Mm-hmm. And my stock with Profits of Rage does does what Which it is does. a group with uh, members of Rage Against the Machine and yeah, Be Real. Exactly. Um, and that and was you a, toured the world. It was and a wonderful thing. Four years we played in front of five million people. Mm-hmm. Now Rage Against the Machine is back. It's back, right. And, and myself, Be Real, and DJ Lord go to our respective situations. Mm-hmm. Choir is kept. We might do something together, the three of us. That'd be exciting. And, and, and so it was like, well, I looked, Kind of looked at it, you know, me and Flav, every couple of years we renegotiated with each other. And I just said, well, something has to be kind of like done and figured out or whatever. And I'm not saying he wasn't happy with everything. You're talking I, about the firing. Yeah, we're going to talk about the firing. Okay. And last year, um, Flavor, me and Flavor had a small schism because mm-hmm. I tried to say, get do production and stuff like that or whatever. And I formed a DJ compartment of Public Enemy PE with Radio. B. Lord and Jahi on my label. It's really, really what it was is to promote Rap Station mm-hmm. and um, the Spit Slam record label group because Jahi um, is the head of PE 2.0, which is a side project with the band, but also he did four albums as well. Um, incredible MC that I spit with and have a great time and it's promoting his record. DJ Lord did two DJ records. So we put together Enemy Radio. Mm. And it rolled out last year for 11 dates with Wu-Tang. 
And De La. De La Soul. Yeah, great shows. And DJ Premier. Mm-hmm. And this was a DJ component. Not to do it long, but just to, to see if it works. Right. It worked really well. But the, you know what the fuckery was? That the promoters felt that they have to put public onto it. So we said 11 dates, you can call it public enemy radio. I don't like it because enemy radio is not an infringement. Mm-hmm. And this is what it should be. But once again, listening to people like, you know, it should be, you know, I'm like, yo, man. This is what it is. It's not that. Mm-hmm. So, all right, so we crafted it on the public enemy radio. Flavor didn't like it, and I, I hear him. I said, you know what, next year, we did it, fine. It was always open for anybody else to use, because I first went to Flavor with enemy radio, said, do that while I do Prophets of Rage. Me and Lord do Prophets mm-hmm. of Rage, because we're booked all the time. Right. But we're going to come back in there and retool public enemy when we're ready. Long story short, fast forward to now, you know, um, I got the inquiry as far as also being up on top of what was going on uh, with uh, the pop smoke thing mm. and being pissed off and seeing Water Worlds. We had the Bernie Sanders thing, and it kind of came out. I don't want to go do no damn you know fun thing, but then I thought I said, you know what? You ain't you know the, people talk about get, or getting on a platform or a forum. I ain't doing no ordinary regular platform for. I got nothing to say. Right. If I'm gonna do it on a platform or a forum, I'm gonna get on a forum that kind of shakes the shit big up. stage. Big you know mm-hmm. big thing and shake shit up. So I say yeah, I'll kind of do that and get something across that I want to get. It's about Bernie Sanders. Not exactly. I like him. Mm-hmm. I do have, you know, if I had to think like my dad, I do have things that I like. I like the fact that healthcare, child care, and um, the student college. college. The, the, all these politicians, they all talking shit, right. right? So you find something you line up with, but you vote for who you got to vote for. Right. You and, and bring the noise you rapped about corrupt like a senator. So you've always been on their asses. And by the time you get to Arizona, it was a government is responsible. But that doesn't mean a grown ass person goes in and said, I ain't vote for nobody. To me, I'm real simple. Like voting is like washing your ass in the morning. (laughs) You ain't got to wash your ass. You could exist not washing your ass. Right. You're going to stink every day and you can't start complaining about people or situations right. stinking. Right. So it's right. W- wash your ass. All right. 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 So that's why I went. That was, that was my narrative and agenda that night. You wash know? your ass. That's Rock the Vote 2020. Yeah. Rock the Vote. Wash your ass. Right. Wash your ass. But having a conversation about voting, mm-hmm. especially at the presidential level, mm-hmm. when you don't know who's running the school board in your town. Mm hmm. It's like right. you're not even ready for voting. So this That's shit right. becomes like the Super Bowl shit. Mm-hmm. So I use that forum as a forum. Mm-hmm. Got it. And when it goes, oh, well, you know, back in so-and-so that, you know, Bernie's against reparations and also saving Assange Shakur. And I'm like, the fuck would I rely on him to actually do these things anyway? Mm-hmm. Right. Fuck, I'm going to rely on any of these people. You have people. a realistic idea of what the government, he's he's running for the for top cop. With me, ma'am, I'm so radical in my thoughts. My, my thoughts is like this. If you don't get a passport and leave this motherfucker half the time, you're a slave in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. You slavery here. Mm-hmm. You got to get out of here or, or connect with the diaspora. If you don't know anything about the diaspora, right. if you don't connect with situations outside this this radiation by radio. Now, you are a member of Trans Africa Forum, right? Yes. I mean, I don't know what a member means, or but when they need honorary, help, right. when I meet, when they, when situations need, like Nation right. Islam, right. they need my help, I'm there. Bells and whistles. That's right. Nation Islam is taking public enemy to places that none of them old booking agents would take. Mm-hmm. 
I've been in the middle of the Middle East in, in Lebanon, man, right. in Beirut, man, in, in battle-scarred buildings, mm -hmm. man, talking to the hip-hop communities in the Middle East where they all right. convene and rev they, and, This, and this the, place would never, ever go there. And the nation focuses on black America, but I wanted to bring up the trans-Africa thing because I think it's important in this very, tra yes. very xenophobic era to know that Chuck D from Public Enemy supports the diaspora and supports <laughs> black people struggling all over the world, not just in America. Man, if as you, a Pan-Africanist. If you cut off the rest of the world and stay to North Carolina, mm -hmm. to, to San Francisco, man, the, the lower, they don't even include the two other states, Alaska mm -hmm. and Hawaii. I mean, the lower 48, mm -hmm. the lower 48 mm -hmm. continent, you're a slave, man. Right. You got to, you got to break the chains by mm -hmm. at least thinking. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. With your phone, tour a tool. Mm -hmm. If it's a tool, you communicating with Half the people on on your phone right. that are outside the box. Right. So you can build something with them. Like minds can also build with like minds. Mm -hmm. If you stuck in one place in the United States and expect that this country gonna do anything for you, mm -hmm. you crazy. That's mm -hmm. right. It ain't happening, man. I'm telling you, I'm right. stuck. So I'm a finalist. Right. And I don't like to talk because once I start talking, it's discouraging. So I'm not you don't want to discourage young people. Right. You want to say, you know what? Think local, right? I mean, think global, act, act local, local right. but also understand it's like child care is important, man. Mm -hmm. My daughter just had a child. Trust me, child care is in, yeah, you know, my first granddaughter. Yeah, congrats. Trust me, child care is like this on her brain. Mm -hmm. She ain't really feel it. She ain't thinking about nothing else. Mm -hmm. Health care. My father transitioned four years ago. Mm, had to go back and forth. People talk about this virus or whatever. Yo, mm -hmm. man, health care is like, a human issue. Mm -hmm. That's right. All this other talk and all that. Yes, I believe in reparations, but you know what? I've been simple with it. Black folks shouldn't have to pay no tax, property tax, tax income tax, or whatever. But you know what that does? That's a riot, man. <laughs> people are going to be like, right. what? There's a riot going on. You see white riots actually because <laughs> the nerve of them niggas right. not paying no tax and they give right. their whole bunch of their lineage stories and all that. Right. So to me, that's reparations as opposed to like the, or you have economists and people will systematically could break it down mm -hmm. to make somebody like me say, cool, right. let's, let's make, I'll vote for that. Let's make it happen. Right. But you know, to wait for the United States of America or the Western world to mm -hmm. give you Anything? That's right. Really? That's fucking stupid. Um, I want to add to bring it back to Bernie so, so Sanders. What, so yeah, that, about that the Bernie, Bernie Sanders. Sanders he actually so four years ago he publicly stated he was against reparations. Uh, this year and, and last year he reversed. He changed that stance and he's been one of the supporters with twelve other Democrats of the HR forty. He was ill informed about. He it. was ill informed. Like most of these, right. you know, most of these people about black folks, mm -hmm. brown folks, folks of color. Mm -hmm. You know. They're ill-informed. They don't know mm -hmm. a goddamn thing, really. Right. So, I mean, I mean, what am I feeling when I look at presidents? I'm like, okay, Kamala Harris. Yeah, let's go. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, Booker. Mm -hmm. All right. Why? Because they black. Mm -hmm. All right. Right. right I right, mean, right. That, that was Barack Obama with me. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Although, in 2008, mm -hmm. I rolled. For Cynthia McKinney and Rosa Clemente Shout to open up to the Green Party. Rosa Clemente. And in 2010, you made a, when Obama was president, um, I, you know, a lot of people liked Obama as a president, but his immigration policy was draconian. You made a record called Tear Down This Wall. Yeah. People associate the wall with Trump. But people like you <laughs> and other people, people don't understand that when you're committed to social justice, it ain't about liking somebody because they black like right. I have my criticisms for Obama I got my criticisms yeah, for Trump right. and my politics don't change depending on who's in office man I knew when when President Obama and I call him President Obama he will be forever right? president when he got elected 
I knew he wasn't going to be Jesus. That's right. You had realistic I mean, expectations. Me, you know what I, I looked at it? I said, for, this is four years for me to kind of get my shit together because mm-hmm. he he going to be fighting. Mm-hmm. I got to figure out, you, you kind of like trying to get there. And we got he got four more years? Yeah. It was an extension. I said, well, that four years closed. I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. Dude. I know you're a, a never Trumper. Like you see Trump as an existential threat. I see Trump as that dude that owned that USFL generals football team. Mm-hmm. Now he runs real generals. That's the right. fucking fear. But I this feel dude like was, this dude was a <laughs> this dude was was a fucking owner of a football team right. man, in New York, man. Right. I, I look, man. I'm born in 1960. This dude's born in Queens in 1948, man. Mm-hmm. The first part of my 20s, man, I had to look at this dude as being a clown. He's a clown. Mm-hmm. In New York, we looked at him as a clown. But I feel like your your alignment strategically with the Sanders campaign to get your message out is also part of an anti-Trump thing. Damn, damn Skippy. And so, but people, I think people, fans not understanding that perspective were disappointed to see what it appeared you and Flav arguing over Bernie Sanders. What do you have to say to that fan? Number one, Flav don't know the difference between Bernie Sanders, Barry <laughs> Sanders, or Colonel Sanders. He don't give a fuck, right? We already talked about this beforehand. Public Enemy Radio went up. His lawyer said, I'll cease and desist. I'm like, good move. Then publicly, man, you don't fucking sue me again. He ain't suing me. Right. But I can say it. Because mm-hmm. if, if, if a public is confused about this, that, whatever. They're going to be confused about what's a lawsuit, what's not. Yo, man, you suing me again publicly? Boom. Fuck that. You fired, dude. This is my last thing with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. We knew what was going to come. I'm not saying it's a hoax. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that the original intention is to get your attention right, and not play attention, get you to pay attention. And Now, he said he can't be fired. He can. He's a partner. Mm-hmm. He's a partner. Right. You don't fire partners. You just walk away from them. Once again, watching, but not listening. That's right. You know, and now the narrative is um, be careful what you hear and see, because it's like, you know, believe half half of what what you you hear hear and none of what you see. Right. No, it's different right now in the digital age. Believe half of what you see and none of what you hear. Mm. Now, Professor Griff um, is a huge part of Public Enemy's story. And uh, was he the leader of the S1Ws back in the day? He had an organization called um, Unity Force. He grew up, he has the same age uh, as as the older bracket, and he brought younger people in, and then they became the S1W with the This group. back in the day. So back in the day. Right. And Because um, he'd been vocal about this split, this perceived split between you and Flavor. Because he ain't know nothing. Okay. Okay. Me and Flavor, man, been in production since the last week of February, coming out with a new album. Nice. The Enemy Radio album is coming out on the, um, in April. We're releasing a song, the first, probably since you're airing this today. It's called Food as a Machine Gun, and it takes on the food industrial. Yes. Well, it's Food Industrial Machine is killing civilians. And, um, you know, like when I, you know, it also comes off. This is the 30th year since Fear of a Black Planet. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that record based on the, the dissertation thesis and book of Dr. Francis Crest Wells. Mm, ISIS papers. Yes, the ISIS yeah. papers. That, Fear of a Black Planet basically is the ISIS papers in yeah. a rap album. Wore my brain out. 
<laughs> well, you you were you were you were journalists. You were like documentarian. That's why you had Harry Allen in the group. I was, and I was old enough too. Yeah. I'm thirty years old. So you're thirty years old making a rap record. You got to make it sound like something. But you got this is, so, so you get really forensic now. Thirty this is years great later, news, brother. Well, well, you got it. You're yeah, the first one. I that appreciate got it. it. That's why I can't yeah, say shit. Now, you understand a little bit now. <laughs> so there's a book by Kristen. Wartman Lawless. Mm-hmm. You see, I, I met her as a student at Santa Cruz, and then um, she's moved on from there, graduated, had a family and all, but she went into the industry of food uh, weaponization or whatever, right. whatever food that is. Food justice. Yeah, whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. So she just Shout wrote a book. Shout out to Styles P. Yeah, right? Exactly. She wrote a book called Formerly Known as Food. Mm-hmm. Dope-ass book. I told her I was going to make a song about it mm-hmm. because it has a chance to be the probably the most significant hip hop record of our time mm-hmm. because food as a machine gun mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. food is taking droves out, especially in the next five years, yeah. man. Mm-hmm. food, food yeah. as a machine gun. So I decided to write a song in the song and I've been toying around with it and writing the song about this actual fact wrapped around it might not be the best song but it's going to be the most important important, important song. so so as you know as a as as the stellar mc as you as you are i can't take in all this compliments and praise from chuck d the general man it's fuck that one thing about the og when you know when the general's in the house you mm-hmm. step back and that's salute. right um we're at a time right now where, where i said uh 30 years later wrap it around that and have that as a narrative. The key as an MC is can you take something that's really fucking deep and make it seem like it ain't deep? Mm. So it took me like mm, yeah. four or five months to truncate to the point where you sugar sugar, you don't love me, you know, mm. and and it's it's got this weird fucking crazy ass. Okay. Don't believe the hypish, okay. crazy ass worm shit going okay. on, right? You dig into the matter, it's the matter is very serious. It's, it's, if you got an older parent, you got kids, you feeding them food, man. Mm-hmm. Body's a furnace, needs yeah. food. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, you gunning them down, you can't have no choice. No doubt. And so it deals with that. Um, our album, the Public Enemy album, is called Nothing's Quick in the Desert with five records that's going to be glued into it. And that's coming out in June. So April. Album, so this is all radio. a big scheme. Well, I don't want to call it a scheme. Plots and schemes But the and thing plans. that pissed me off, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I was like, I got mad at the good, I'm, the good look public enemy always presented the good look. Mm-hmm. And when the good look just gets taken for granted, and I see like Rage Against the Machine going and they're playing like 50 dates in the garden five times in a row. Mm-hmm. These are my guys, right? Mm-hmm. Who do you know in hip hop? We gonna go in the garden five times in a fucking. I mean, road, they gotta man. have a hit on the radio right now, if that. They, Not Rage five times. Wait, Rage ain't gonna have a hit on the radio, bro. Mm-hmm. They gonna just go in there and play. They got fifty dates, and they was doing five Coachella dates, and, and just like, and, and I went at the same I, a time few years me, ago. I saw Drake at a, at the at the Kentucky Pavilion, and it was Drake. And in order to fill that, and Drake is at the height of his success. Right. In order to fill that, he brought Meek Mill. Uh, Waka Flocka, Wale, this and that. I went and saw Radiohead the next day at the same venue. They just walked on stage at the high with Radiohead and that's mm. it. 
and Yo, rock bro. for three hours. And Yo. no, but no other art, no other artists, no other nothing. Right. Same, same, same. And venue. they present the good look, and they fans go. You know, now this ain't a knock against the fans. It's, it's not. A it's not a knock, knock against the administration. It's not a knock, knock, knock against Drake or any of those other right, artists. Right, right, right. Against the fans, none of that. It's just, just the metrics of, yeah, of our the, business. Because the radio stations yeah. took over the promotion of hip hop, mm. and they threw it down a flight of stairs, man. Mm-hmm. And for the last 20 years. Jay-Z was talking about that. Radio said they won't play my hits. I don't give a shit. So? Like, but he was, he hadn't made enough money to be able to move, remove, to be the exception to the rule. Yeah, right. But he was speaking on that. Public enemies' duties, mm-hmm. we got the, we got the baton from the ones in the 80s. Mm-hmm. The first uh, Fresh Fest tours, right? Mm-hmm. All the groups were on two buses, bro. Mm-hmm. They were all on two buses. Mm-hmm. The whole, the whole Swatch Fresh mm-hmm. Fest. Then groups started to have their own bus. Mm-hmm. But one thing we knew that the, the we play in the same arenas as the NBA dudes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We giving the NBA a run for money, matter of fact, because mm-hmm. you know people are like, oh, you gonna show up for that for that Charlotte Hornets game or, or Big Daddy Kane, and them gonna be there on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And that, you going to see Big Daddy Kane? Yeah, and that place got like right. nineteen thousand the, in the there. Prince of Darkness, right? <laughs> right, nineteen thousand for the hip hop show, right? With the five or six acts, because it's cool. Did you see Ice Cube on our show say you his favorite MC? Ice Cube's my little brother, man. He's, he's, <laughs> Cube is the dude that got three brains in his head. Right. Mm. Ice Cube Matter is fact, down Cube with the said, PE. Cube said that this situation was genius. Mm-hmm. I said, you the genius. So I told, I, mm-hmm. now, now the dude that was going really I mentioned me that because you mentioned Kane, Burn Hollywood, Burn just jumped into my head when you did that. Well, <laughs> I, I would say, well, today's date, really, mm-hmm. that we're doing this. Mm-hmm. Is March 10th. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a whole bunch of people out there that say, oh, see y'all now. He probably had to make up with Flav and shit, try to save mm-hmm. face. I mean, first of all, anybody out there that I don't know, that they don't know me, mm-hmm. they can say anything they want, man. At the end of the day, they got to figure out what did I say wrong to tick them off. And then that's their that's they, that's mm-hmm. the issue. Mm-hmm. And we talked about this the other day. If somebody comes at you, especially like social media, I'm mm-hmm. only on Twitter because I said, at my age and stage, I only do so, one sock med. Mm-hmm. But I said, yo, if I go in on you, I'm going to forget you tomorrow. You're going to remember me the rest of your life. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. That's right. Even though he's sending my way too. Hey, right? Oh, <laughs> I do send them your way. I say, yo, man, I don't really, I'm going to send you this time leave and, and right. you're going to be regretting going down that rabbit hole. So, you know, there's, there's a select few that do know that I had to let know, like, me and Flavor have been better than it ever. And we got to, we got, like, finished out this month of productions. It's, let me tell you, just 21 days from it, because today's the 10th, April Fools, we're taking April Fools. We're taking it over. It's, it's, I love April, that. It's April Flav Chuck Day. And that's supposed that. to be my day. That's your day? That's well, you're going to share the day because you're from Roosevelt. Hey, we from turn Roosevelt, up. too. You know, so, no doubt. But the thing about it is like, it ain't just taking it over as a hoax. Mm-hmm. We have to come with something that's, that's substance. And mm-hmm. we feel that, my, like I said, my anger narrative was like, you motherfuckers don't want, and I'm not saying you motherfuckers like talk about fans or mm-hmm. whatever, but I do got a little bit of Denzel in me. Mm-hmm. For like, like training day you Denzel. motherfuckers. Right. I got 21 more days of acid burns that I got to take. I feel like Jackie Robinson. I can't wait to watch this one. But Jackie Robinson Uh first went in the the major league baseball after his minor league in Montreal, man. Dude slides in him. He's got to do the Jesus thing and take it on the chin and just can't fight. They said, Branch Rickey says, yeah, you can't fight, man. Keep it low. I, I, I got 21 more days of taking it. 
I'll be running the people. I got stalked by TMZ today. Dude, like, there's one dude in TMZ, my man named Jake. He's cool. I gave him the wink. I said, I can't tell you, man, right now. But later on, man. We got the scoop. He, and he got it, right? Fever right. fighting, baby. Y'all got right. the scoop. Right. Jake got it, right? This other asshole with him, right? It's like, <laughs> yo, asking me questions. Thinking he could get the scoop and, 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 um, escape Jake and get me as I'm running, as I'm coming to the car. Right. I'm like, dude, don't you know I talked to Jake? He's like, so what about flavor? You know, are you talking to flavor? Mm-hmm. I said, oh, see, you taking the asshole role on me, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, but mm-hmm. you know, stalked by TMZ for flavor and Chuck. I hope it can sustain the next 21 days. Cause we're in some out of sight, out of mind territory. That's right. And you know what? And, and let me tell you this. The reason why brains are different now because they created cyberspace mm-hmm. to purchase the unused real estate of the mm. remainder of your mind, right? Mm. <laughs> they created cyberspace to purchase the unused real estate or the remainder of, the remainder of your mind. You're not using it. Right. Yeah. I mean, they bought every piece of land on the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. So where's the next? Where's they the gotta next colonize the mind next. Um, I was watching because you were just talking about radio play and stuff, and I was watching you about like five years ago, and you were saying that. Um, you feel like hip hop needs to be more black and not not meaning like, you know, like the Macklemore's and stuff like that. You're talking about more like the corporate world. In this day and age, do you feel like black people have taken more of a role in like behind the scenes of hip hop or do we still have some work to do? We don't have ownership of our of what comes out of us. We have jobs, if that. Mm-hmm. Ownership is saying, what, look, no one can own a culture. Culture is the thing that we have as, as, as an exchange of human beings. But with everything else chopped and locked up, we could take ownership of what comes out of us a little bit more. Um, Naismith invented basketball, but we took ownership in saying, well, we have a way that we create and, mm-hmm. and we have a narrative about it where we could teach and raise people with it and weave life. You know, the beautiful thing about music and culture, we could weave life's teachings through it. Mm-hmm. Makes it easier. Makes us have, a, you know, a shake and a bounce to it. Um, that's Chuck D and Flavor Flavor and Public Enemy. There's, there's a shake and a bounce to it. The S1's provided another aspect of it is to protect mm-hmm. what you have. You know, look, at the door of every fly party is security. Mm-hmm. So you got to have all these things kind of like running in a community in, in a cycle. And you brought the party on stage and made it part of the act. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean. Revolutionary people's party. That's what it is. It is. So, yeah. I mean, I just think like, I'm not saying don't believe the hype 2020, but don't believe the hype 2020. No it's doubt. supposed to be the, 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 the decade or the year of clear vision and hindsight. No doubt. So all the things that mm-hmm. people saw, like the, 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 the audio of that Bernie Sanders thing, I was scratchy like a motherfucker. So mm-hmm. motherfuckers couldn't have been hearing what I was saying right. on stage. They were just looking. And they were looking. They said, Chuck, he ain't got flavor. And I heard this news. They didn't notice anybody else on the stage. They just noticed Chuck and didn't take the time to look at anybody else. Mm-hmm. So be careful of what you see before you talk because there's a lot of things going on. Right. What, 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 what I was saying. Right. And uh, it became a perfect storm. It doesn't mean that we're out of here. I got 20 more, more days, man. Cats stop me every block. Yo, mm-hmm. man, it's fucked up what you did to Flavor. And then he's <laughs> taking hits. Mm-hmm. Like, good, man. About time he kicked your ass out. Mm-hmm. And the important thing with the rest of this year that we think this is going to be a narrative about 
what public enemy represented. It ain't got to be about us. We're going to be yeah. who we are anyway. There's too many places for us to go that. That's a lot of history. Easy. Yeah. It's important for me to bring Flavor's stock up. Mm-hmm. I could take the hits. I could come down. Flavor could come up. We even out. We good. That's mm-hmm. a partnership. If I'm here, he's here. I mean, we got to drag him up, make excuses for him. So, you know what I'm saying? You never see me beat him up. Ever. Mm-hmm. Never see like, oh, yeah. Never see me beat him up. We watching a lot of people now. Me and matter of fact, he watching people and like n- nudging me like, you see, uh-huh, I can see, see what where the snakes see, are. See this? Yep. Oh man, Ex- mm. oh ex- exposing to the mm. it's oh cut man. the grass. You cut the grass just yeah. now. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. man, I I did not tell hardly anybody, and if I told anybody, he knows in control of, of the silent thing. Flavor. Flavor mm. will be whooping my ass. <laughs> if he found out I was on this show right, right. now, he would be whooping my ass. And I have to take wow. I have to take right. it. Not that he's gonna whoop my ass, but right. I have to take the whooping because no I violated the trust. But me and you, no we doubt. know how important this is. Flavor, I got you if you watch it. <laughs> um, you and Flavor, you know, when when you said the one-two punch of a uh, of uh James Brown, Bobby Bird. The, the one-two punch of Elvis was a hero to most, oh, yeah, yeah. but he never meant shit to me. Right. Straight up racist to sucker, simple and plain, and then flavor with the motherfuck him and John Wayne. That was yeah. such a revolutionary moment. Well, he had to voice all my punchlines that mm-hmm. I wrote, and I'd be like, damn, man, you got the hell of a fucking punchline I wrote. You, you, fuck it, you got it. No, but it, it, <laughs> I think that radicalized me. It radicalized people like Ice Cube. It radicalized people like Tupac. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now... Uh, Adisa uh, Benjoko, founder of Hip Hop Chess That's Federation. My man. That's right. Friend of Tupac. Yes. Tells a story about Tupac being at a Public Enemy show uh, when he, uh, right after he had been beaten up by the police. Yeah. When Tupac Lives Now came out, and you got wind of it, and you stopped the show uh-huh. in Oakland to dedicate a song to Tupac. Yeah. And this brought Tupac to tears. Yeah. Um. Then Tupac wrote you a letter that you from jail that you shared on your social media. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk to me about what you were going through on that stage, and then talk to me about the feelings behind that letter and your correspondence with Tupac. Well, that was easy because Tupac mm-hmm. was like a little brother with us. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he was he was a dude carrying bags for Digital Underground, mm-hmm. but also Shock G would let him get a little rhyme time if they if they expanded the show out. Mm-hmm. Remember, Public Enemy actually our responsibility was to bring other cats on the show. So on that tour, 1990, it was us and Heavy D bringing everybody around. Public Enemy is the first group along with Stetson Sonic that went to all different parts of this country and saw hip-hop in other regions. Before that, hip-hop just came up out of New York across the United States. Mm -hmm. But then in 1988, with the Bring the Noise tour was Public Enemy, Stetson Sonic, EPMD, and in every market we went to, we would go in the in the Bay, we'd bring Hammer on our stage, NWA in the South, Mix-A-Lot in Seattle. We was the first to actually go into regions and put them on the show. You would shout it, them out on records, too. Shout them out on records, and mm-hmm. I did all the liner notes, of course. It was important, because I went to these areas. Not just in the liner notes, though, but in those verses. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Sir yeah, Mix-A-Lot, yeah, yeah. MC Light, MC Light, Light around yeah, fighting that. people like that. It's important, because it shows the, the unofficial, but official unionizing that we're all in this thing together mm-hmm. and um and yeah so Pac was like funny thing about it right right T Pac and Tretch Close. are both carrying bags for mm-hmm. and respectively for Latifah Flavor and Unit. Digital Underground yeah. so I remember the first time Latifah introduced me to Tretch and we was in like Louisiana like mm-hmm. the backwoods Baton, not even Baton Rouge um with the Raging Cajuns are from Lafayette mm-hmm. and um Latifah said, 
meet my uh, one of my protégés, treacherous. <laughs> All right, treacherous. Here we go. Right. right. Well, you know, I had you know I had OG status. Like right. I was taught. You know, I I was known for the guy who was also older because although Dougie Fresh taught me, mm-hmm. I was older than Doug, so I showed him logos. Like I did the logo on the Get Fresh Crew, the one with the raised fist. Okay. Yeah. So I showed Doug. I wow, I didn't know you did that logo. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, rising to the top and all mm-hmm. that. So, so Latifah introduced me to Tretch. I'm looking at him. All right, you're going to be ready. <laughs> Did he have yeah. the padlock, the chain with the padlock? Not on yet. On the edges of it. Okay. He, remember, yeah, I, remember, the, I can see Tretch carrying bags with yeah. a jail suit on and a padlock <laughs> chain. Yeah, because we helped break Latifah in too. Right. So both of these dudes, I'm looking at these young dudes, 19 years old, I'm looking at them. We go to a city and they rolling out together. I said, dudes, don't fuck up. We ain't gonna come to save your ass. Don't fuck up. I was like Uncle Chuck. Right. That's where the Uncle Chuck came from. I was always Uncle Chuck. Right. And I was like, dude, I'm watching both of y'all. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. One day, Pac could get that verse. He's on there doing like whatever, doing his thing. Right. Gets that verse. Later on, he did the same song mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later. Right. You know, he finally got, his, around, got his- Wanna around, wanna come around with the underground. That, that was his Where's coming out party. Was... I sent him a little note. Yeah. I said, oh, you big man now. Okay. And then Tretch had, you know, the whole right. Naughty by Nature next year. But it was a wonderful joy seeing them young men mm-hmm. enjoying their- they're coming out. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's just like, these guys are going to be stars and they were buddies like that. So this is why when what happened to Pac, it really seriously affected Trevor. That's right. These dudes were like way. young rookies, man. So yeah. they were rookies and the next year they were, they were kind of like stars. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that was a joy because I, I come from the sports world, but I never was good in sports, but I always enjoyed like when you see somebody come in and get coached and then that person's the mm-hmm. baller, you know? The coaching is very important. Not that we teach them how to missing rap. a lot of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the stage, man. To treat the stage like, like how, that. how Houdini did for you. It was a beautiful yeah. time, man. It was a beautiful time. And whenever somebody says something about Pac, I think of Tretch. Mm-hmm. Whenever That's I think right. about Tretch, I think about Pac. As it should be. As it should be. It's a, be- it it a beautiful moment yeah. in me. So seeing that Pac had that little issue or whatever with the police, I'm, like, I'm on stage. So I'm like saying, what the fuck? That's Pac? Get your ass up here, bro. It's like, it like one of those things. And we shut down the show. It was at Kaiser. And... um. This is, a, this is our little dude, man. This is our little brother, man. And it was a case one time, Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. Dude busted in, the, in, the, in our dressing room and stole our shit. I mean, mm-hmm. I stole eight you know, Uzis or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, show shit. Mm-hmm. They found and closed the building, right? And they found the dude. But the dude kind of took him and hit him in that building in Oklahoma City and was lying. Pac was back there. Pac had this dude yoked up and was <laughs> like, listen... <laughs> Pac, it's not that serious. Had the dude yoked up. I'll kill you. I was like, yo, you would have <laughs> killed him, man. Really. I'm right. like, calm down. But you know, you looked at this dude, it's like, this dude is fine. He's like, and I'm the I'm the Uncle Chuck. Like, listen, man. It's I mean, public enemy. He was right. serious about public enemy, though. Serious, yes, he was serious yeah, about man. it. So but I'm glad that Pac didn't kill this dude because we <laughs> never would have heard about him. But right. that's that was the type of mentorship we were given while being on stage and it was advantageous that I'm on stage I'm getting down but before we was actually doing tours the, the headliner never checked out the opening group mm-hmm. when we were in the headline position for spe- especially five years in a row I always made it my business to go to the first group and encourage them and 
that was a beautiful period. And man. that's why you are who you are. And that's why yeah. you get so much respect. Yeah. Um, I got recently a chance to uh, see you went to Adelphi and then you got an honorary doctorate. From your dad. From my dad. That was one of the highlights wow. of my life. Right. Man. Shout the out to Perry that, Green. Yeah, Dr. Perry Green. And, and the fact that your dad put the, the honorary mm-hmm. doctorate um thing around my neck man it's like yeah man that's that's my real dad and you like my hip hop dad so it's like to see that come Aww. together oh, yeah. and I think I hit me. you immediately you man do. I think you we did. both hit and you and then up. I ran into you when you got on the plane to fly back to LA I seen you in the airport right, right after that happened I said I just was with your dad and this yep. is this, this is what I mean by the good look mm-hmm. these good looks should be like exalted so it's like the most somebody gonna say about public enemy in the last X amount of years in this country is going to be because Chuck D and Flavor Flav are beefing. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, all the times we come in and we can't play the garden because the 20,000 or 50,000 that just say they love us ain't going to pack the garden because mm-hmm. everybody going to pack something else. Right. And I'm like, I'm not saying it should happen, but it should happen for somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. And I'm like saying, because I'm already woven and playing in stadiums and arenas and profits of rage and stuff like that. But we like barring another Right. It's uh, got to bring it up. It ain't yeah. us. Right. You know what I'm saying? And we're like, you know, there's a laziness Mm-hmm. In the artist, and y'all, y'all along with Run DMC, with the uh, with doing the video with uh, Aerosmith, y'all broke down those barriers for rock and rap mm-hmm. with anthra- right. Anthrax. And it's interesting to see the Anthrax dudes rapping about how hip hop <laughs> Farrakhan about how hip hop is not a band; it's just a DJ. Right. All those things are interesting, but you're right. It's like. It shouldn't be that. No one thinks of the first white person to do anything. Mm-hmm. Right. We always think about the first black person to be on MTV. The first black person to play five times at the Garden. I, I knew you know? that this was going to be a problem in the, in the early 90s because they, they hip-hop went to the majors, but they kind of like just shaved all the areas which made the art responsible to the fans. Mm-hmm. So the fans got treated like shit. Mm-hmm. In the rock world, man, the managements make sure that them fans, man, are like prayed to. It's mm-hmm. almost like an R and B too. Mm-hmm. Like a dude that's singing a song, like Boys to Men, they'll come out with a rose, man. Them girls, mm-hmm. man, will be like, you Katie's know what? I'll, I'll, I'll come another fifty years. Right? Hip hop is mm-hmm. like this. Like there was never right. a nurturing with the fans, so there's a drop off. We have to do it ourselves. You've been, you've been doing it. That tour that y'all did last year with Dayla and everybody right. was a great way to do it. It's great to see. It was um, fantastic. With with speaking and just. Just, I have to ask this before we get out of here because yes. Prince, we all revere Prince as a musician. Um, for a long time, it was known that he didn't really like hip hop and he yeah. dabbled in hip hop with Get Off a little bit. Yeah. But then when he did musicology, he shouted you out by name on that song. Yeah, yeah. Um, how did it feel to be shouted? Did you bring Prince around to hip hop? No. Okay. <laughs> I met Prince late in the game and from the outside looking in, also through Wendy and, 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 and his bandmates. Mm-hmm. They kept telling Prince about, yo, this dude is like, he the way he got his style, he's like jazz, but he ain't, but, mm. and he had a command. Cause you know, Prince got a voice like this, you yeah. know? So, so, pancakes. Prince is Prince. <laughs> right. right. And the first time we met, we, we had a good conversation, mm-hmm. you know, great conversation, really about something and nothing at the same time, but it was more like, I feel whatever you want, cause you Prince, man. Mm-hmm. So let's go. So when we actually worked on the song together, um, undisputed was a yeah. cut, you know, and it, that he and it was like I laid down the vocals to his track, and Prince was like, you know, matter of fact, I, I give a little backstory. First, went to Paisley Park, right? Mm-hmm. Dude had a yard sale. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was selling like like 
guitars and like print shit. Yeah, like he was just selling <laughs> like like and going around right mm-hmm. with pulling up the tag. Well, this this uh, amp. Yeah, you just have <laughs> I get it just to you about four hundred thirty dollars. I'm like, right. the fuck? He's like getting a yard sale on right. the, on Paisley Park. <laughs> then we went inside. I saw the basketball room, but I ain't gonna play no ball with you, dude. Right. So we gonna go. I laid in the verse, and then he's like, "Cool, just sit in the lobby." So you see, like, like, like we looked through these windows right mm-hmm. here, dude. Was, I I swear to God, it looked like he, he was making a salad, man. He was. Pulling tape and shit like you know, it's like da 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 da. I'm like, the fuck, right? He said, "Yo, come on, check this out." Went in and checked it out. I was like, Shh. man, the whole he engineered it. I saw tape. him do his Prince thing. Did the Prince fucking? Dave Chappelle thing. has a thing. He says, "We says it's a special moment when you see somebody do the thing." Yeah, you see when you see Chuck D on stage doing Public Enemy, mm-hmm. like you saw Chuck D do the thing. You saw Prince do the thing. I saw Prince do the thing, bro. Yeah. I'm like, and then he was like, "Let's hang out later on the night." And I heard he was notorious, like. Like taking it to the middle of the night. Oh yeah, I've been to a bunch whatever. of those parties. But now I'm like, yo, I'm tired. No, no, I'm, no. I'm notoriously the other way, man. I'm like, <laughs> after I do this day, but but Prince, he calls you, then you got to kind of get get down with him and stuff like no that. Doubt. So I, I was I got down with Prince quite a few times. You got to be on it, but yo, man, yeah, yeah, that's that struck that's that struck me. That was matter of fact, my my dad had passed away only a couple months early, so it didn't struck me strike me hard. Mm-hmm. I was it was one of those what's next, yeah. So it was in that whole wave, and as a matter of fact, he passed away the day before it was to be my father's birthday on mm-hmm. April twenty second. He passed on April April twenty first, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of already like swelled yeah. up getting ready for yeah. the 22nd and that happened on the 21st so I was mm. like oh what next mm. but yeah man it's had so many stories man I'm very glad that I was able to open myself in the forum Me too, I don't man. know we really I don't know if you. I'll have those acid birds 21 we have to do we have to do a part two because this is at least uh, like like at the top of my notes it says there's so many questions we normally we we do these interviews and I run out of questions I have to think I have three pages of questions I didn't get to we have that's to do how, a part that's two that's how we go I mean yeah. sometimes because I, I, I do interviewing too so you always kind of use your skills to kind of dig it out of somebody mm-hmm. and sometimes you might have somebody who's staring at you but you got <laughs> a story to tell for this as, far, as well as your storied history you yeah. had a story to tell yeah the story to tell like I said it's like um Flavor's phenomenal, man. Mm-hmm. And um I really I really pleasantly happy that he had people that really feel regardless or whatever, because my narrative I would tell people throughout the years, man, I said, yo, man, just like come on, everybody got a flavor flavor in their family, man. Mm-hmm. I'm I mean, the flavor flavor. I mean, you got it. You're the flavor flavor. I'm the flavor flavor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on, man. You're the, you're the flavor flavor of this show. Of the oh, show, shit. right? Okay. Yeah. So, 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 Jazzy, Jazz. So he would be attacked. Yeah, boy. <laughs> and he would be attacked. And I'd be like, ah, oh, man, I, 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 yo, man, I gotta dust them off, man, and protect that. And sometimes some things were hard to protect too. It's like, come on, man, dude. Mm-hmm. But that's what it is, man. It's just what it is, man. If I want, if I want to deal with it, I walk away from it. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I've, I've given vacations to that. No doubt. We all grown people, man. We all grown, got all, our whole thing, and don't want to see nobody fall on the well. Now, if you're not part and you feel that you're not part of the team, there's gonna be some issues mm-hmm. with you. But at the top is Chuck D and Flavor Flav. And that pretty much the buck starts there. So, like I said, there's a lot of things that are happening right now, man, that, that I'm looking at, we're both looking at. And we kind of like did the trade in places 
$2 bet in the bathroom type shit. Mortimer. <laughs> I think that. Feeling good, Lewis. <laughs> I love how he's been sipping tea every time he's dropped a little jewel this That's whole right. show, like sips tea. He's spilling the tea. That's what it is. We got all the tea from Chuck D. We have a lot more tea to come in part two. We got to do this part two, We got to do part two. Yeah, man. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the icon, can, the before, legend. Before they give it up, you know. Oh, don't give it up yet. <laughs> don't give it up yet. We're Enemy, not there yet. Enemy Radio Loud is not enough uh, a record and Flavor Flake uh, is on the song Food as a Machine Gun. It's an attack at the food industrial war weapon or whatever. And um, and it's, you know, Enemy Radio featuring Flavor Flavor Public Enemy. To, to where does it live? Where, where can we find it when it drops? Um, you'll have it. Okay, <laughs> and then have you it. can find it in all formats or whatever. And, um, and then we'll get ready for a Public Enemy album in June. Yeah. And hopefully... Um, World touring in October and November. Not long touring, smart touring, because, I mean, come on, man. You know, I want to, you know, my thing is like this, man. Five Raids Against the Machine garden show. Why not? Bro. Why can't we get Public Enemy for that? How come we can't, like, seven, and if, and if not seven Public eight Enemy, of us get together? Yeah, and then, let's then get Wu-Tang. Let's right, get something. Exactly. Yeah. Let's get Outkast. Something. 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 I feel that we open up. We'll open up. Shit, I'll I'll be I'll, I'll, I'll come on at six when they open up the doors. <laughs> and, and that's what I say. The rock really? guys, I have to I have to leave this note, man. It's like I mean, I play rock concerts, man. Every time you play them, you rock them. Can we you sell records. Thing. Yeah, right. You get mm-hmm. this little thing, and you're yeah. like, I'm rocking the fuck out of the rock crowd. I'm but I'm on loan. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I feel right. it. I'm, I'm part of that, but mm-hmm. I'm on loan. Be real feels right. the same too. We're on loan. No How about our fucking thing step right. up? Especially since we created rock in the first goddamn place. Hello? I'm trying to tell you. And you know what people say? Well, public enemy, you, rock and roll hall of fame. And when the naysayers, right? And they can't fuck when I get the answers, right? Stunner answer. Because this is you good at. You hit, hit a motherfucker with a stunner answer and shut them the fuck up. No like, doubt. oh, I don't know about rap being part of rock and roll law. They should be part of the rock and roll hall of fame and and we we got uh, with one of the first 36 to get on the first vote in mm-hmm. and I tell him I said dude we the fucking roll we the roll <laughs> ladies and gentlemen we rock and roll. roll hall of fame Belt Billings Chuck D that's bad thank you brother Steve held it together <laughs> Stevie B. Yeah.